Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 219 with my guest, Kelly M. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, honesty about all the battles in our heads. From medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Go there, check it out, join the forum, read some blogs, uh, take a survey, see how other people uh, filled out surveys, um, donate to the show. Um, sure, there's other other stuff there that I'm that I'm not thinking. Of. Oh, you can buy a T-shirt or a coffee mug. Um, what did I want to mention? Um, oh, this episode with, uh, with Kelly, um, I edited a little bit of it down for time. And so there's a, I think there's a part in it later where I, I crack a joke and some of it, uh, I make a, a joke about uh, a mean teacher that she had and something about, uh, her dad with a statue. Um, her dad at one point was, um, almost threw a statue at her mom. And that was, that was in part of something that was edited out. And um, and she had a teacher that used to shame uh, kids by posting everybody's grade for everybody to see. And then she would, uh, if you got a bad grade, she'd take you aside and kind of humiliate you. So that, that uh, just explaining that. And what was the other thing I wanted to, um, I think that was about it. Anyway, I want to read um, an email on a couple of surveys before we get to the uh, the interview with Kelly. And I think we recorded um, Kelly about eight months ago, maybe, something like that. Anyway, this is an email that I got from uh, a woman who calls herself Kay. And she writes, you often 
emphasize rightly that we need to be completely open with our therapists. I think, though, I might have found an example where this is not the case. See, I'm I'm on the cusp of actively suicidal. If I were completely honest with my therapist, she would be professionally bound to have me committed to a hospital. I've I've voluntarily been hospitalized twice before and found it unhelpful. It was more or less a well-furnished holding tank in which my life was even more restricted than the limits my depression had placed on it. And this is the thing. I've been suicidal for decades, though it's gotten progressively worse. This is not a situation where I go to a safe place and wait for the feelings to pass. They are always there. So what can they do? Lock me away for the rest of my life? Because that's what it would take. What kind of existence is that? I've tried almost every available treatment. If the remaining ones don't work, I don't know where to go. I can't live another 25 years of this. I wish there was a place where I could talk freely and openly about these things without fear of having my remaining freedoms taken away but I understand why that's not possible. Thank you for listening. Please don't find me and call the cops. I'm not going to try right now. And then now is is in capitals. And I don't know what to say to that other than sending, I I mean, I did write her back and um, said that to just hang in there. And I know how unbearable the darkness uh, can be. I shouldn't have asked her if she's ever tried uh, electroconvulsive therapy because a lot of people um, who have found no relief from anything else have found uh, relief in that. So just a thought. Uh, This is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by Nate and a snapshot from his life. He has anxiety and a snapshot from his life. He writes, while going to the grocery store with my girlfriend the other night, I had several negative and anxious thoughts. I shouldn't be here because I could be working on lesson planning. I'm a teacher. I shouldn't be buying cream of wheat, uh, which we went there for, because it's unhealthy and I'm fat. I'm 5'7", 145 pounds. Once I told my girlfriend about this, I apologized because I shouldn't be burdening her with these problems. Then, when she told me not to worry, it's okay to tell her. I told her, I'm sorry. I say I'm sorry all the time. (laughs) I think we all understand that one. This is filled out by a guy who calls himself fat on the inside about his depression. He writes, I don't want to kill myself. I just want someone or something to do it for me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Do I relate to that? Um, About, not necessarily in this moment, but so many moments of my life. Um, about his physical handicap. He has uh, osteogenesis imperfecta. He writes, I break bones easily and constantly struggle with the anxiety of feeling safe in the world. A snapshot from his life. I told my mom that I hate what I look like and my physical handicap has made me feel isolated, depressed, and lonely. It makes me feel like no woman will ever love me. She told me if I just lost 15 pounds or so that it would really increase my confidence. Hall of Fame. That is a Hall of Fame parental moment. Um, This is filled out by a woman who calls herself E is for Elephant. And about her depression, she writes, The amount of effort my brain puts into sabotaging my enjoyment of things would be impressive if it were applied to anything less less self-destructive. Having a little trouble speaking tonight. That one, I I can't imagine... uh, if you took the mean part of my brain and harnessed its power, you could, uh, the Hoover Dam would pale in comparison. Uh, this is the same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself, please go away. And um, she, oh, this one, I just, 
She writes, I fantasize about building a nest for myself in our walk-in closet so I can sit quietly in the dark. When I read that, I was like, I don't want to just go sit there. I want to live there. I want to live there. I want to have food brought to me. You know, maybe a little TV with a, a Netflix subscription. How awesome would that be to just go into a walk-in closet just filled with pillows and clothes and and like nine Netflix series? I guess you'd need a toilet in there. All right, so maybe... Uh, now nah, you don't want to you don't want the toilet stinking up the walk-in closet. All right. So the <laughs> the part that ruins the fantasy is every once in a while you'd have to get up or you uh shit in the pocket of a coat and you bury it under the bottom. I don't think that'd work. And then this one is um same survey, struggle in a sentence, uh filled out by a guy who calls himself recovering alcoholic doctor near you. And about his depression, he writes, lifelong depression, realizing at 30 years old, all of your fantasies of being a superhero or secret agent were about finding a way to kill myself so that no one would be mad at me. That is so fucking deep. That is so, that is a, that is an epiphany. That's a, that's an epiphany that is accompanied by a puff of smoke. And then a snapshot from his life, he writes, The day of my college graduation, I slept through my alarm because I drank too much the night before. My loser girlfriend called me to say she didn't have any clean clothes, so she was going to buy a new set at a thrift store and might have to miss seeing my family. And then we had a fucking abortion together. Well, at least you were both wearing gowns. My God, somebody does what I've been doing. There's shame. You have boundary issues. I feel guilty for hating my mom. I will be high by 4 p.m. You feel helpless. I will be in hell by 4.15. Prison was not easy, but I deserved it. I think I'm just addicted to lying. I rubbed my body in mud and I laid in the swamp. Didn't move for six hours. I looked forward to and dreaded each meal at the same time. I think I desperately, desperately wanted to talk about it, but I didn't know how to start the conversation. And that's when I, I called the suicide hotline. Good Craigslist experiences if you are alive at the end of it. So, <laughs> so that is when I first felt love. Like I first felt reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just I surrender. I think I was 28, and that was the first time I ever experienced that, and it was amazing. I'm here with Kelly, who is a uh, listener. And we originally uh, corresponded, you you had sent me an email, I think you had enjoyed some episode or something, and then you sent me, oh, I know what it was, um, you had commented saying you've been reading a lot of uh, surveys from listeners who identify as asexual. If you ever want a guest on who identifies as asexual, I'd be happy to come and talk about it because a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of misunderstanding and myths and um, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, that's a great topic. Yeah, yeah. I had noticed that in a lot of the episodes, um, there are more people that were coming forth as asexual. And I was like, well, I live in LA. I'll talk about it. Not yeah. a problem. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you contacted me. And there was other stuff in your emails too that, that, um, uh, that I want to, that I want to talk about. Absolutely. Um, uh, where would be a good place to start? You're how old? I'm 24. Okay. 
and um, you were raised here? Uh, I was actually raised back in Chicago. Oh, that's uh, right. We were just talking about that. <laughs> yeah, I was... Uh, I don't even was... know what suburb it was that she was raised in. Literally, she told me a minute before we started recording. Yeah, I uh, I grew up in Naperville, uh, which is actually like a very wealthy suburb uh, of Chicago. Unfortunately, my family was not of the wealthy variety. So I uh, grew up in what we would call the ghetto of Naperville, very much still middle class. The, <laughs> uh, the bathroom in the Bennigans uh, in that area of Naperville um, just wasn't as tidy as some of the more upscale Bennigans. And no, you no. You had to be careful. There was more, there was a little bit more water dripping on the floor from, yeah. you know, people moving their hands from the sink to the towels. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I grew up there um, in a, you know, in a town that was very wealthy and in a school district that was amazing. Um, but Com- competitive. Very competitive. Very academically. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. So academically competitive. And it was, and I was also in the advanced classes, so it was even more competitive, and it, especially competing against kids whose parents were like chemists and lawyers and doctors wow. and dentists, and my parents didn't even go to college, so like I couldn't even compete with them uh, when it came to stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it was it was very interesting growing up in a, how, in a town like that. How'd you finish in high school? Uh, in terms of grades and and stuff, uh, I finished in the top half uh, with a three point six GPA. Hmm. Our valedictorian had a four point eight on a four point scale. Um, oh my god! <laughs> and an ulcer. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure Vamsi had an ulcer. Uh, I think he's actually going to. Um, he's doing his graduate work at the US or USC uh, Medical Center right now, um, and it's just like all of the kids in the top you know, in the top 10 were just, they were all friends too, which was really great. <laughs> so there was no like breaking it up. They'd like all dated each other. It's very strange. Like our, our school was so weirdly proud of our math team. Like if our basketball team was doing really well, they would actually start chanting just like math team. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. So, I mean, it was great. It was great to know that academics was a great plus. But um, one of the things that I always struggled with was I was the bottom of the smart kids. So it kind of affected a lot of my self-esteem. Because, uh, you know, when you consistently sit at the bottom of the smart kids and you have the same classes with these kids day in, day out, like even if you have like advanced English and advanced math, you basically still have all the same classes with them the rest of the day. So Because it's all relative anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just the way they stacked the schedules, we were all together all the time. So you just, once you were at the bottom of that, you just always felt at the bottom of everything. I always think about that, like guys that play pro hockey. I think, you know, there there, there are have got to be guys on that team that have terrible self-esteem about their hockey ability. And yet they're in the top 1% of the players on the globe. And yet they probably just feel so inferior to their teammates who are stars and making $10 million a a year. That's exactly kind of what it is. Talk about your home life. What was, uh, what was, yeah, like Uh, brothers and sisters? No, I'm an only child. Um, not by choice by my parents. Um, it's actually a really interesting story. My, um, when I was growing up, I was always told like, oh, yeah, we had to go to the clinic to have you and blah, blah, blah. And of course, like, clueless child, like, oh, yeah, every every family had to go to the clinic. And it wasn't until I was 13 and taking a class um, 
you know, we were in science, we were learning about genetics, and our teacher was describing Kleinfelter's, which is a genetic disorder where um, a person looks physically male, um, but they might have like XXY or XXYY as a genetic disorder. And um, he's describing it. They're like, they're usually very tall. They usually have small hands, small feet. They usually sleep a lot. And it dawned on me. I'm like, this guy just described my dad. And I like raised my hand. And I was like, I think you just described my dad. Now, the other thing about Kleinfelters is that it makes you sterile. So I was like, this now raises a lot of questions for me. And I kept asking my mom, 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 what you know, what is happening? What's going on? Like, does dad have Kleinfelters? Like, somebody talk to me. And she's like, you have to ask your dad. Like, my dad and I don't have the best relationship. So I was very nervous to talk to him and eventually, like, came down to it where it was like, dad, do you have Kleinfelters? And he said, yes. So I am, so it's this. so I figured it out at 13 that my dad wasn't my dad. So if that gives you any sort of example of what my home life is like, um, we're just not, a, like emotionally communicative family um very like supportive but not like emotionally supportive um functionally supportive yeah like we're physically there like physically there for each other but not like you know so it's um but yeah my it's yeah i have i have a very interesting relationship with my dad um he he's Can, well let me yeah. ask first so did you ever find out who your father is? No, I've never found that out. Um Did you ask them? Your your parents? Yeah, uh, it was a it was a sperm donor. Um that's also an interesting story uh, cuz my parents, you know, they've been trying for years and years and years and they're like, you know what, we're running out of money, running out of patience, running out of emotions and they were like we have to give up at some point. And on June 30th, 1989, my dad's birthday, my mom receives a check in the mail from Reader's Digest for $12,500, which is enough to go to the clinic for two more months. And then like August 8th or 9th of 1989, I was conceived. And <laughs> my dad wasn't even in the room when I was conceived. <laughs> so it's it like it's interesting because um, when I found that out, uh, it really mirrors kind of how my relationship is with my parents. Like my dad really wasn't there growing up um like emotionally physically he was a workaholic um he works uh labor so he worked for the cta for the chicago transit authority for a number of years and then um he works for the illinois tollway now so um you know it's he just worked a lot and slept a lot and nobody told me why like why he slept all the time or um why he had like we would have days where you know oh it's time oh we get to hang out oh i get to spend time with my dad he's always working i'm so excited i'm up at like eight o'clock ready to go we're gonna go to the museum it's gonna be so much fun and my dad sleeps till like one and it's like nobody explains this to a seven-year-old like what's going on you just think that your dad didn't like you so um yeah it's it's a sore spot <laughs> i forgot to mention i'm a crier so um but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting my relationship with my dad, because um, it's uh, also growing up like after that time when like you know found out he had, you know Kleinfelter's oh that's why he had to take all those shots because he has to take testosterone and um, apparently during my high school years you know when I'm like 
going through the most maturing and, and whatnot, he ends up, we discover that my dad had actually been overdosing on his testosterone. So he's this angry, just like hulking out, like he like just yelling all the time. <laughs> and was he accidentally overdosing on it or he yeah. just liked how it felt? And he, so he was taking more. My dad's not the smartest individual. Um, we like to say he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Uh, so he was accidentally overdosing. He would, instead of like one pump, he would do two pumps. So he was just double dosing. And so like while I'm going through all these hormonal changes, he's going through all these hormonal changes. My poor mother <laughs> just wow. wants to live in a nice house. Um, and like it was it was nasty. It was nasty. Like those four years of high school. And like I clung to my mom and so like she and i have a great relationship now because she respects the fact i'm an adult but my dad like he still has a hard time seeing me as an adult so um and he's as he's gotten older he's gotten more like his dad who's a very republican 1950s dad like he's the man of the house he's in charge his word is final what he wants to do is what we're gonna do so my dad has started turning into that as he gets older so it's just it just gets worse <laughs> just gets worse as i get older because it's like i've got opinions i'm 24 years old like i would like to go do things but my dad's like no we're doing this because this is what i want to do it's really fun it's really fun <laughs> So give me some snapshots from from childhood that um, you feel kind of like highlight. I mean, you gave me kind of a broad one with yeah. the, the you going through your hormonal thing and him going yeah. through the hormonal thing. Um, yeah. One of the things that you shared in your email is that you feel like your relationship with your mom um is kind of uh, emotionally um, inappropriate in some ways, and yeah. that your dad also did some some things that were emotionally uh, inappropriate, and you never specified yeah. what it was, and I don't know if that uh, yeah um, the severity of that or if it's worth talking about, but I just thought I'd ask. Yeah, it's my my. I'll start with a a, a moment with my dad it was like my senior year of high school and of course i'm you know getting ready to leave so i'm doing this whole like you know a distancing thing which is normal and to be expected um but i don't even remember what we were fighting about but all of a sudden this fight got nasty and heated and like literally screaming at each other was um, he was he still overdosing on the testosterone yes, at that point yes okay. he was and he ended up we were so angry with each other because I'm also very stubborn, so it does not help whatsoever in this situation. Um, but he, it got so heated that he had to, he gathered things and he left and he went to a hotel. I was like prepared to stay the night at the hotel and I had to call him and apologize and be the adult in the situation. So it's kind of a, and I've, kind of always had to parent my dad even more so now like he he acts more like a child so i have to constantly apologize and be the first one to do it and be like no i was wrong which i hate doing because it's like no you're my dad like you should be the adult in the situation like i'm still learning um but he just he would get 
um, at, you know, when I was a kid, I would have to, you know, parent him and he throws, um, tantrums and he, he does, um, the silent treatment as a, as a 58 year old man, he does the silent treatment, which is really fun for my mom and I, <laughs> uh, he always, it without fail happens on vacation. Is any of that related to Kleinfelters or is that something separate from It's, that? it's just him. He, um, he grew up in a very emotionally distant family uh his parents didn't hug him until like until his either he started dating my mom or until after they were married so until he was like 20 until yeah he was like 23 24 25 years old his parents never hugged him so he's still like acting like a child because he wasn't brought up in a in a good environment um so he's just throws tantrums because he wants what he wants, you know, uh, when we're on vacation and, uh, they, they just visited me in September. And, uh, if you, you know, if you heard that like, Oh, we're going to Disneyland, trust me, wasn't for me. It was because my dad wanted to go to <laughs> Disneyland. Um, like it was my first time to Disneyland and nobody would have known if I wouldn't have said anything and I didn't say anything. So <laughs> we went for him. Wow. Uh, and that's kind of how like every Disney trip has been since I was like 12. So <laughs> we go for him now. Wow. Yeah. He would ask me, oh, so what's going on? Oh, this, this, this. Oh, well, this day I had at work today. And then we just talk about him the rest of the phone call. Did you ever uh, listen to the mini episode we did on co-narcissism or read the article? Yes. Yeah, that must and, have blown your fucking skull God, wide open. It really did. Like to the point where I was like, everybody read this. And I like bring these things up to my mom and she's like, oh, everything's fine. I'm like. He almost threw a statuette at you, Mom. Everything's not fine. And that's that's a true story. She told like that's the other thing with my mom is that she tells me a lot of things. Um Is that where the inappropriateness you you feel like is with your yeah, mom? Yeah. In a way that um I know that you've talked about on the podcast about how like your mom would treat you kind of like a spouse. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how my mom talks to me is because she doesn't have another adult in the house to talk to. So she talks to me like an adult and I've always been talked to like an adult. So I'll hear things about their marriage that she might not have wanted me to hear because sometimes she'll say, oh, I shouldn't have told you that. I'm just like, well, if your husband were more mature, maybe we would, you know, you wouldn't have this problem, but unfortunately we're stuck in this place and my mom didn't grow up in a in a great emotional environment either so they've just you know together they're very emotionless people like they don't talk emotions to each other which is so interesting to me because it's like aren't you married like aren't you supposed to share these things with your spouse you know in a, in in an ideal world yes but i think the thing that happens because we're not we're not taught how to deal with things that are difficult to talk about we're not given tools when we're when we're growing up to express ourselves in a way that doesn't put the other person person on the de defensive yeah. so i think what people in relationships do is you have enough disagreements where it's turns into this thing where somebody's trying to win an argument mm -hmm. 
you can't have intimacy with something where one person's a victor and the other person's the vanquished. You just, yeah. you just can't. It destroy. It eats away at any chance for intimacy. And I know because yeah. my wife and I, uh, that's how it was for us for a lot of years until we both started to learn how to express mm-hmm. ourselves. And it's still yeah. hard because it takes so much fucking energy to say something that you know is probably gonna upset that other person mm-hmm. um and especially if it's in a gray area so it it doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all that your parents would yeah. would have this kind of uh, I, I imagine it's kind of loveless and um affectionateless yeah is that it, a word affectionless I, it is now yeah um i it's just it's just so weird because like they it I've, I've even asked my mom like when i was in high school I, I told her, I'm like, I don't know if I if I love dad or if I just tolerate him. And she said, sometimes I feel the same way. And it's like, when you hear that from your mom, like you're like, like, it's just it's mind blowing because it's like, what? Like, do my parents not love each other? There have been times where she's like looked for apartments and like she's told me about this. And it's like. I, I like get out if you're not happy or like go to a therapist but they've never sought help either of them no like my my dad has has told me he's like oh i don't know i'm kind of thinking about seeing a therapist and i'm like then go like <laughs> like you know just go see him a couple of times and i mentioned it to my mom too i'm like you know maybe you should think about going to see a therapist she's like no i'm fine I'm like yeah, all right <laughs> and that's like the end of conversation have you ever wanted to say well then don't tell tell me about your problems uh, Would you like to say that to her? I kind of. <laughs> like, then, then, yeah, it's like, then don't complain to me about stuff in your marriage. Like, don't put me in that situation. But it's like, I'm starting, you know, I see the, you know, the, the monster. And I see the man behind the, the curtain for my dad. So it's like, I'm already a lost cause on him. Um, and I'm like, always worried. It's like, I'm... You know, I don't know if it'd be better to forgive him or just get rid of him. Like, it's, I don't know if I want to keep going back to that. And my therapist is like, is we've kind of landed on like childhood emotional neglect, um, which is, we're still kind of looking at. And, um, but it's like to have to keep going back and like reopening that scab is like, it's so hard. It sucks. Yeah. It like, sucks, but I want to commend you on 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 doing the work and thank you. especially because the stuff that you've been through. If somebody, to somebody who isn't in therapy, hasn't processed emotions, hasn't dealt with situations that are very gray, yeah. If you were to express what you expressed to me to the wrong person, they would roll their eyes and say, "Get yeah. over it." You had yeah. You were raised in, uh, you know. You went to a good school. You did mm-hmm. such and such and such. Yeah. I've but, had that happen. But, I've had that happen to me. And it's it's so uh it it's so dismissive and um it's like the the thing that I and I do a lot of reading about all of the issues anybody ever presents to me. Um but like the thing with childhood neglect especially emotional neglect is that since it's not there you can't recognize it and you can't see it it's since, the absence of something yeah, that you're not aware of. yeah you have no idea that that's supposed to be there and then when you mention it to somebody and they're like what are you talking about and you're like 
what <laughs> what <laughs> it's what like, it's like saying saying to somebody who's been vitamin deficient their whole life you know that feeling when you get a shot of b12 oh and they've God. never had it and they're like what, what, what you don't, we don't need vitamins but if you've ever gone to therapy or gone to a support group and you feel suddenly your soul open up yeah you're like oh my god i've never experienced yeah. that in my fucking family which is where i should have had the most experiences with that. It just reminds me of this one um, this one post I read online where somebody was like, oh, yeah, so I love bananas because it gives you this tingling feeling in your mouth. And they're like, you know, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> Turns out they were allergic to bananas. So it's like, <laughs> it's like the dumbest thing. But, you know, you, you aren't aware that, like, you know, families are supposed to be you know, the certain way. And Boundaries and nurturing. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, my, my mom also has, like, w- like, growing up, she had, like, weird sexual boundaries, too. Like, not, like, sexual in a way, but, like, you know, walking up the stairs, you know, she'd chase me and, like, you know, slap my butt, you know, whatever. It wasn't, it, it wasn't, like, sexual in nature whatsoever. But, you know, mom being a mom, or at least I, what I believe. Um, and, but there was, for a good portion of my childhood, she would often walk naked from the bathroom to the bedroom and there was a certain point where i'm like i think i was like 12 where i put my foot down i was like can you stop doing that it's really uncomfortable for me and she did um i know that she felt shame about it and i could tell but it was like i had i had to say something because it was like this is making me uncomfortable and it's like this is not okay anymore <laughs> like that was good that you could say that yeah. I and mean, it's unfortunate that you you had to be the one to to say that that's a really common yeah. one that I yeah that I hear in fact I there was a guest that I had um about maybe 2 months ago and uh she sent me an email just to kind of update me on what's been going on with her mm-hmm. and she's really starting to realize that that um what she's been experiencing from her mom mm-hmm. is is incest. There's like Ugh. no lack of, uh, there's no boundaries. There's a complete lack of my body is mine, your body is yours. Yeah. All kinds of weird nudity and yeah. not uh, leaving the room when she changes, you know. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's she, because her mom is so... Um, she gets the feeling that she's her mom's life preserver. She doesn't feel oh, like she can God. say any of this stuff to her. And I said, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but welcome to the incest club, <laughs> you know. And we laughed about it, but it's yeah. like you need to process that stuff yeah. because it's it's emotional neglect. And I know a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about that a family should be nurturing and a family should mm-hmm. uh, have boundaries, that the, no family is perfect. No, not and, at all. And there's going to be, you know, shit where people's feelings get hurt and people react in the wrong way. But I think what you're talking about and I'm talking about is where it's a fucking desert, where it yep. never rains. Mm-hmm. And that that is this, the stuff that... That is important. And people yeah. don't have to be getting beaten or fucked or whatever yep. for it to really fuck you up. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I've been looking at this. Uh, this one therapist online has listed, like, she specializes in child emotional neglect. And she's got this, like, checklist of, like, 22 things. She's like, and if you check off six of them, you have, ex- you know, extreme childhood emotional neglect. And I checked it off all 22. I was like, great. Awesome. <laughs> this is going to be fun. What would um, you say to somebody who is like, you're just feeling sorry for yourself. You, um, 
you know, you're, you have an unrealistic expectation. What do you, what do you say yeah. to those people? Uh, I, I, God, it depends on how snarky I feel that day. Um, what would you feel in your, in your body and what would your thoughts be? God, the if, naming feelings is like, is a thing with emotional neglect is like, you have a hard time naming those things. And my therapist, I, I called him out on, it. <laughs> he, he's doing that to me now. Uh, but cause it's so hard. It is. It's really hard. Because you're um, used to shutting down. Yeah. And I guess I guess when people try to try to say that to me, I'm just like I God, it's, it's Can you so, describe what you feel in your body? Do you feel anything in your face or your chest or your stomach? I just, I just feel like everything just kind of drops. Like it's like, all right, cool. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for playing. Um I guess I lost this round and you just kind of move on. Like, it's like no point in dealing with it because it's like, if you're just gonna, you know, ignore whatever I have to say, then it's like, what's the point, you know? So I just, I just kind of, uh, wait for the subject to change. And so we don't have to talk about it because I'm very much of the mindset that if somebody doesn't, um, if somebody doesn't want to take the time to understand, uh, then, like, don't just, like, they're a lost cause. We can be acquaintances, you know? but we're not going to be friends. Right, exactly. Like, I had one girl where I mentioned something about how my school, even into, like, junior high, would always, like, put our grades on the board to compare how you did with everybody else. Once again, going up back up to the whole academic fucked upness I grew up in. And... um and she was like, oh, yeah, well, every school did that. So, I mean, I don't see the problem. I'm like, when I've talked to other people about this, they see the problem. So, obviously, you and I had totally different experiences with it. So, don't be dismissive. <laughs> like, And then we just, like, didn't say any of that. But it was like, I was feeling all of it. It's very hard to have a very deep conversation about, you know, emotional neglect and childhood trauma when you're at a baseball game. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a perfect. That's what the uh, seventh inning, seventh <laughs> inning stretches for. I think we were in like the fourth inning, and it was like I don't have time for this. I need another beer, Andrew. <laughs> it's just like somebody get me another drink. Um, and it's like, and it, yeah. What would you say yes. to somebody who's listening to this episode right now, and is nodding their head and saying, "Yes, yes, that's my family. That's yeah. that's that's my situation." I didn't. Yeah. Uh, I still am having trouble believing that that's valid, that that's enough, that that that, that might be why yeah. I I feel fucked up. God, it's what okay. You... I'd say it's okay. Like it's it's valid. Like you're feeling you're feeling something. That's good. We're at a good start. You're you're noticing something's wrong because the neglect is just like because you're there's nothing there. There's nothing to notice. So the fact that you are noticing something that's amazing. Like great now go do something with that go read like um john bradshaw has some great books healing um, the shame that binds is a good one yeah and there's there's another one there's another one called um toxic parents mm -hmm. that's really good um narcissistic family is a good one yeah i haven't i haven't read that one yet um, silently seduced is a really good one yeah. about um emotional incest yeah it's and i mean and then if you if you have the capability like go talk to a therapist um, or find some good friends that won't dismiss you. And that's 
really important. I'm lucky I have a couple of friends here uh, in LA because I'm 2,000 miles away from most of my support. Um, but I have a couple of friends here in LA that are very supportive and they listen and they, you know, I texted one of them before I started this. I'm like, I'm so nervous. And she's like, pretend like you're talking to me or Derek. It'll be great. <laughs> so uh, are you still nervous? A little bit, a little bit. What Nerves? Do you, yeah. Do, what do you What do you think you're afraid of? I don't know. I honestly don't know. The nerves just, I'm very, I'm a very anxious person. Um, like we're doing this, we're doing the web series and, you know, uh, it sucks because my, my director is also a very anxious person. So we're both just sitting here going. Spinning each other. Ah. Yeah. There's a. Uh, I talked to my therapist about it and he's like, tell him not to send you, <laughs> don't t have him or have him not give you your worry, like his worries. Like yeah. I've told them, I'm like, guys, I'm anxious enough for everybody. So nobody's allowed to be anxious. <laughs> I've you, got it covered. <laughs> you know what I was thinking as you were speaking of anxiety and, and feeling overwhelmed, you know, as you were sharing to uh, talking to that person out there who's nodding their yeah. head and feeling like their story is similar to yours. Yeah. Oftentimes, I think the the indicator that there might have been that is recurring feelings of sadness and anxiety. Yep. I think yep. a lot of times that's I know that that that's those are the two prominent predominant emotions that I yeah. feel um, and throw in some uh, a nice ladle of apathy and oh man i've got i've got that in barrelfuls the apathy thing but yeah depression anxiety i mean thank god i'm medicated <laughs> um or else i would just i would be a shit show all day every day like i've it's it's real special what do the tickets run to get into a shit show um they're about 15 dollars at the door that 10 dollars in advance that seems really pricey for a shit show it it is but honestly like i I get down to the point where it's like sobbing and just like it's just snot everywhere and and then you also get to see my two cats like look at me with concern like what's going on why aren't you feeding us um it's really impressive actually my favorite thing is when you're in the middle of a uh, a, a snotty cry is when one of your pets will start lick, licking your snot oh god it's like you don't know where that's coming from <laughs> and you've got dogs, so they just don't care. Whereas the cats are like, I'm just going to clean you up a little bit. <laughs> your your pain has become my food. That it's is so, that is so, so fucked up. That is so fucked up. <laughs> like the first time I had a meltdown with my first cat. I haven't had a meltdown with the second cat yet. Um, but with my fairy, with this first cat, um, with Simon, he, he like, he was like maybe four months old and he's like coming up to me like, oh my God, what's wrong? Like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> like his eyes were so wide and he's just like approaching me very slowly. It's like, I'm sorry, cat. <laughs> I signed you up for this. <laughs> he's, he's the last, very great. <laughs> the last time I cried really hard, uh, it was about a month ago. And I was meditating in the morning, and all of a sudden, I felt this sadness come, oh, coming up. God. And I was just like, okay, b b you know, breathe yeah. into it. Don't try to run away from it. Just feel it. And and oh, I just God. started crying like a, like a little boy. And oh. after about five minutes, I looked up, and both of my dogs are looking away. <laughs> like, like they were ashamed and couldn't wait for it to be over. And I just started laughing so fucking hard. You couldn't hard. have waited till lunch for this? Yeah. <laughs> Oh. No, I I actually 
uh, you know, because you get those feelings where you feel that wave and you're like, oh, man, I'm going to have a breakdown. But you're just like, I'm sitting in the middle of Denny's. This is not the place. I mean, like, yeah, Denny's is a great place to sit down and cry because that's like the clientele. But you're like, got to hold it in until I get home. And then you get home and something else. All right, I'm going to hold it in until tomorrow. And it's just like, okay, I'm going to have a good cry on Thursday at 9 p.m. Nothing's happening. <laughs> like, I have to, like, plan my good cries because it's just like I will get lost in them if have I you, don't. Have you ever seen the movie Broadcast News? No, with I With Holly haven't. Hunter? You have to watch okay. it. Okay. You yeah. have to watch it. Okay. It's okay. one of the best movies ever made. It might be a little bit dated, but it's... Uh, it, yeah. It's a fucking great movie. I will. Um, let's talk about the, the uh, asexuality. Yeah. Um, Another absence of things. Yeah. <laughs> My life's all about absences. Talk to me um, yeah. about it. When is it, is it? Have you always had an absence of sexual feelings or desires? Um, well, very similar to the childhood emotional neglect. Like you're not aware of it until somebody kind of brings it up or somebody kind of points it out. And it's not that I wasn't ever aware that I never had like sexual feelings. It was just that I was confused. Like. The, the term asexuality has has really surfaced in the last, like, not even 10 years, like, really eight, seven years. Like, it's a very new term. Um, but it's – I only discovered it just, like, uh, I had a friend in college who was asexual, and I never really considered it for myself for a while. Um, but I've always come back to it because um, I've gone through, like – bisexual gay straight pansexual um you know i go through phases of um of gender like gender identity you know and and you know i i just i struggle with that as well so gender is also really fun um but can you be more specific about that yeah in other words sometimes you want to express yourself in a way that's more male i sometimes it's more masculine i guess for me it's always been um that i just want to like exist as a person and not necessarily as like a woman or a man uh because it's uh like i've you know, I thought about transitioning, but I I don't necessarily want to be a man. Um, like, I don't want to exist in the world as that. I don't want to exist in the world as, as female. I just want to exist in the world. Uh, and I, so like right now, I really like a gender because it's, it's <laughs> the absence of gender um, in a way. So, you know, just existing as just a person. Uh which I really like. I, I think it's really nice. I've also, um, I've done... Can I, can yeah, I ask a question ahead. before you go to the next yeah. point? Do you feel like that's because it makes it easier for sexuality or lack thereof to not be an issue? Or is it because you feel more of a masculinity inside of you than you outwardly express or ha- have yeah. expressed to this point? Yeah, I think I or think both. it's I think it's more of the latter. Um I don't think it's so much my sexuality plays into it like it's totally separate. Um but yeah, my my gender identity has um just been very fluid and I've just kind of you know done whatever. I've never been very feminine, um but I do have like my very feminine moments, you know, where it's just like 
I really love the 1950s, so I'll dress up like a pinup and, you know, and that's just how I want to express that day. And then I have, um, I actually used to do drag, so I was a drag king and dress up like a man and get paid for it. It was great. Um, and I still have, like, some of the clothes from that. So I'll, if I feel like being super masculine that day, I'll be super masculine. That sounds pretty cool. That that's sounds awesome. pretty, like... <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really fun. Like you put like fake facial hair on, and uh, it's like the world's your playground. If you're, if, Ooh, yeah. if, if if that feels like a natural or fun thing yeah. to do, yeah. And it's, uh, and I also um, like my I like I wear jeans and t-shirts all the time. Like it's practically my my uniform at this point. I've been wearing just jeans and t-shirts and really nothing more elaborate since i can even remember like since i was like 11 or 12 like i've really not really explored outside of it because i'm just comfortable you know and it's just a very neutral kind of clothing so it's and it's not revealing and it's not um you know and i can express with like what's on the t-shirt and it's it's comfortable allows me to do a lot of things and utility and function is like a big thing for me i like to have clothes that actually work as opposed to just wearing these tight things that look nice, which is a lot of women's clothing, which is rather unfortunate. So yeah, uh, the, but gender has been, uh, a, a thing that's more recent for me. Um, it started in college and now it's, you know, I'm not really super out as a gender cause it's like, I'm already just trying to explain asexuality to people <laughs> like one thing at a time. <laughs> <laughs> one thing at a time <laughs> i don't yeah it's like, i think the person to have this conversation with is your father oh, i think you God. you find a nice row of statues <laughs> you bring that teacher in from grade school you have her grade you on oh how uninterestingly you present it to your father God. <laughs> and then uh he gets to hurl shit at you until uh one of you wins the argument I think I'd be laughing and too hard. And then you dress up like Annette Funicello <laughs> and don't and don't masturbate. It <laughs> uh, sounds like a blast, actually. <laughs> so, what are the questions that people have asked you whenever you shared about being uh, asexual or feeling asexual? Yeah. What are the things that they say? that feel that make you want to slap them or that make you feel understood or in between yeah uh i'll start with the the slappable offenses um a lot of those are oh does that mean that you can reproduce by yourself and it's like no dumbass come on uh and then there's uh does that mean that you uh have like a hormonal thing going on it's like no that's not that's not it either my hormones are fine um, there's, uh, there's just usually a lot of like, Oh, what does that mean? Um, and the thing is, is that it's, it's just the lack of sexual attraction. So there's, uh, so there's also, um, sexual drive, which is like, you know, you can have a high libido and be asexual, which has got to be the most frustrating thing on the planet. But it's like a lot of those people just take care of it themselves. They don't, you know, they don't necessarily have the 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 uh, desire to be with somebody to take care of that. I mean, I I really do not want to speak for all asexuals, but you know, that's that does happen. 
um, a lot of asexuals have low drives, low libidos, so it's not much of an issue. Um, I think I sit somewhere in the middle. Um, so I'm pretty good at taking thing, taking care of things on my own. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I just don't have the need to, to be with somebody to do I, it. I, I was corresponding with another listener who, um, identifies as asexual, um, and, and she masturbates and I had a question for her. I, I was like, well, what does she think about then? when mm-hmm. she masturbates and she said that it it was more just a feeling that she focused on mm-hmm. she she wouldn't think about scenarios and that made it easier for me to wrap my head around because i think so many of us when we masturbate we imagine a scenario that that yeah. that turns us on, but rarely mm-hmm. do we just focus solely on the pleasure yeah. of our of our bodies. And I've had moments where where I've done that, but it it seems kind of difficult to sustain. And I think most people yeah. who th- can who think about scenarios always kind of that's our default yeah. is to go to that place. Talk talk about. Um, if and when you and if you're uncomfortable talking about yeah. any of this stuff yeah. okay um if and when you masturbate what walk me through thinking what you're thinking and feeling before you do it while you're doing it and you know through through whatever yeah um, yeah um no sexuality topic is is off the table for me i i have a sexuality studies degree we talked about you know, vaginoplasty at Thanksgiving one year. So we can talk about anything. Um, but for me, uh, I I can't masturbate like solely by myself. Um, I need like a stimulus. Like I, I do watch a lot of porn. Um, it's usually gay porn uh, or like really like hardcore stuff. Like I, for some reason, I'm now like really into like gangbang, which don't know how I landed upon that as a feminist, but... Uh, Do you know how common that is, by the way? I I'm among suspecting fe- it's, among feminists. I'm super very super common. common, super super I'm, common. And I always figure it is, but it's like it's such a weird thing to negotiate in your brain. It's like I don't, but it's like I can't. Like it's like I can't just say like no body. This is not okay. When body is just like nope. This is what we're doing. It's like all right. I guess this is what we're doing. It's it's like yeah. judging your freckles. It's like yeah, they they just those. got they just got put there. Yeah. Um and as long yeah. as somebody's not uh, being forced to do something against their their will. Yeah. It doesn't matter that it's a scenario mm-hmm. is being represented where yeah. somebody you know maybe yeah. that Yeah. That does, I I know I'm I'm, I'm preaching to the <laughs> <laughs> to the choir with you but yeah yeah um, it kind of bums me out when i read a survey about somebody who thinks that that diminishes their desire for women's rights no um, it doesn't it it doesn't. it doesn't and i think it just uh, shows the complexity of yeah. the way the brain and our sexuality uh interact because it's yeah. so often about wanting to go back and control something we didn't have any control over or give up the control over the thing that is frustrating us. And that yeah. to me, that's what I think happens with that is is like you just want to give this anxiety 
to me, I think it's, I just want to give this anxiety up and be free of this frustration that this is a truth in the world. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, I know that's just kind of my, my two cents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've just kind of accepted it as a thing. Like it's, I mean, it's, it's still, when I really think about it and, um, I mean, it's, I personally like the ones where the woman is actually very empowered in the scene, um, where she is very much enjoying it. And I think that is, is one way to kind of negotiate the, mm-hmm. the feminism with it. Um, but I don't want to stay too long on gangbang book because we have a lot more to discuss. Um, the, when you watch yeah. the uh, gay pornography, is it penetrative male male yes. sex? Okay. Yeah. Which, yeah. Is, which is also really common, and I never knew yeah. that that's uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of lesbian couples uh, watch yeah. that. Yeah, I've or actually lesbians. Yeah, I've been uh I've been actually reading um like gay fan fiction uh since I was like 13, so over 10 years. What fan what, fiction? Uh, yeah, gay, when you say gay yeah, fan fiction, yeah. what what kind of specifically do you mean? It's like uh when you're like for example, I the feel first... so out of touch right <laughs> oh, now. Oh no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh it is a very niche community and it's it's a weird community, but uh, like, for example, like if you're a fan of Lord of the Rings and it's like you think that two characters like a popular pairing would be like Aragorn and Legolas and then it's just like it's just sexual like. Oh, so then somebody's yeah. writing erotica about yeah. characters. Yeah, from exactly. Pop culture. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And okay. there's little pockets of communities for different like TV shows, books, movies, video games. I have heard of that. I just yeah. I think I forgot what the what the name of that was. Yeah, yeah. So there's and there's tons of terms out there as well, but I've been reading that since I was 13, so it's you know, it's it's kind of been a it's been a standard for me. What was it when you were 13 that um do you think if you can just kind of put your therapist hat on and look at your the 13 year old you what what do you think it was about that that made it um a choice for you that's a really good question um it's not really something i've really thought about um i think it's that like i really like the the idea of like two people with a very strong emotional connection um, you know, having a physical connection as well, because I don't experience that. So it's like I get to experience it vicariously through these fictional characters. Um, so I think at 13, I think I was kind of just like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I can experience these things that all my peers are feeling. And, you know, and and I or at least I think that's what my peers were feeling. Because uh, my a lot of my friends weren't feeling the same thing. And it was actually... Now that I think about it, it was another, it was a friend who's now come out as asexual who introduced me to fan fiction now that I think about it. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. You know, as, as you uh. were describing it, I, 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 I was trying to picture like what the draw would be yeah. to somebody who had a childhood like yours with that. And the first thought that came into my mind was it probably felt emotionally safe and true like mm-hmm. there was a sweet truth to it because you hadn't witnessed it in real life yeah no that's totally true and i've i've hopped from like fandom to fandom and it's like you know figuring out like what couple like really jives with me and i'm you know i'm stuck on one right now which is great until the show's gonna be over and which, then which one 
Uh, I it's uh, Kurt and Blaine from Glee. It's a mm. very popular pairing, uh, which is really nice because there's a lot to choose from. Uh, but it's it's really nice. I like the stuff with more emotional connection. Um, not necessarily a lot of like angst. I don't want like the emotional draining stuff. I don't want people because it just it drains me too. And it's like I I just want the happy reunion. I want everybody to be happy together. <laughs> um, so does it strike you how it is the opposite of what you were raised in? Oh yes. And it, was oh, that yes. something that you were aware of be- before we started talking about uh, it? Not really, but now that we're talking about it, I'm like, yeah, okay, I see it. Like, I definitely see that, um, and I'm not at all surprised by it. I, I honestly yeah. am thinking about starting a second <laughs> podcast called The Orgasm Detective. I'm not kidding. It, it, I am endlessly fascinated with w- how what we get off to, how it uh, yeah. relates to our childhoods and our experiences and yeah. everything, and, and especially because there's so much shame and, and self-judgment and judgment from mm-hmm. uh, out, outside of us is... Yeah as well yeah yeah and and for for me um especially being asexual um you know i i am asked like well, do you watch porn They're like well yeah like i'm not i'm not gonna say no like i mean some asexuals are sex repulsed and they don't um you know they don't watch porn they don't have any inclinations toward doing that but um like when i watch it like i said i i watch it vicariously i watch it as a voyeur i don't um i don't ever think about myself being part of that um it's, which is another thing that's super common yeah yeah and it's funny though because when i try to like think about having sex with somebody i have a crush on um everything just dies <laughs> it's just like really yeah it's just like all of a sudden it's like oh nope nope doesn't what, work what i don't know what it is what well walk walk me yeah. through it and describe if there is a recurring moment where it dies, what that moment is mm-hmm. and what are some of the the ingredients when yeah. it when it dies? Um, a lot of it is like once it gets to like because I'm I'm a big fan of hugging and kissing and cuddling. Big fan. Um, but it's like once it gets down to like being naked and being like it just just like physical, like and being in that sort of intimate way. Um, your body or their body or both both it's like it's so hard for me to imagine it and i've had sex before so it's like i i have something to base it on but it just never like for some reason the pieces don't quite and i like think too hard about it like my imagination can't just go there and like i'm a pretty anxious person so i have a very vivid imagination but for some reason the imagination just it doesn't go over there. It doesn't venture over there because it's like I can't see like actual people in that situation with me. Like I can see them with other people, but for some reason it's like my body is just not a part of it. I don't know. It's help, it's so help, hard to describe. Yeah. I, help me understand that because yeah. um, is it that, that you get anxiety when you picture yourself being – with somebody else or or is it that that you're repulsed by your body uh, it, help me understand what it what it is that because yeah. you're you're saying that you you can't picture it yeah what 
Is it that you just don't want yourself included in something that's that's yeah. sexual? Yeah, I think that's that's part of it. Um, and it, you know, it doesn't come from, you know, and I kind of have this repulsion toward it, too. Like, I just like, as soon as somebody is even like remotely sexual to me, it's like this, just like touch the stove and it's hot sort of thing. It's just like I recoil from it because I'm just like, I don't ever picture my like other people in a sexual way. Um, or like, you know, I see somebody and it's like, oh, I went on that. It's like, it doesn't happen. Um, has it ever, has it ever happened? No, no, it's never, it's never happened that way. Um, cause when I, when I described my friends, it was like, oh, I think Jason Bateman is so attractive. I have a huge crush on Jason Bateman. And, and they're like, so what do you want to do to Jason Bateman? I'm like, I just want to hold his face in my hands and tell him how pretty and funny he is. And they're like, anything else? I'm like, no, that's it. <laughs> And they're like, really? That's that's all you want to do? Like, uh huh. And it's like I had I have no. And that would not. And and there would be no sexual pleasure from that. It would just be something where your soul would feel yeah feel connected and filled yeah. by it. Yeah. And and the thing is, is like if your if your body responds to it, it's it's not the same as like your mind responding to it. Like you can still have, you know, it's it's. It, I don't really want to equate it to this, but it's like, you know, uh, in situations where they say uh, in, in like in like rape situations, they say, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, she was wet for it. So obviously that meant she wanted it's like, no, her body was responding, but that didn't mean that her mind was in the same place. Right. It's I, it's similar. It's not the same thing at all, but it's it's very similar. Your brain and your body are just on two different wavelengths. Yeah, but, yeah, your um, body and your and your soul can experience two vastly different things oh, during yeah. during sex. Sex. Have you yeah. ever had uh, a sexual experience that was <clears throat> super negative? Um, not like super negative. Um, or negative, you know, yeah. memorably negative. Yeah, I mean, I I had um, my freshman year of college. I was. Um, molested by a friend well friend i use that word very loosely um but like that you know i i put a stop to that real fast um he like shoved his hands down the back of my pants i was like nope you're out of my dorm room peace out um but like the the two guys that i've had sex with um the first time was after a uh it was after my 21st birthday party so i was very drunk for the very first time I waited till I was 21 for my very first drink. I'm uh, very proud of myself for that. Um, but he, but like he was sleeping naked in my bed, and I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. And so it just like happened, and it was like, oh, is this what everybody's been talking about? No, <laughs> it was just such a disappointment. And then I dated a had, guy. Had he yeah. in- initiated it? Had you? Were- he initiated it. Okay. Um, and I was just like, well, I have condoms because I was in the LGBT organization. So, of course, I had condoms because it's just like free for all with them. Uh, but then I had a boyfriend when I was studying abroad and he was very sexually aggressive. Um, like every time I was over, he wanted to have sex. And I was like, <sighs> was it a nightmare for somebody who... Feels oh my asexual. god! It was like it was like. Can we just stay down here and like watch some more episodes of Spaced? Like, really, do we have to go upstairs? And it was like it, it got to the point where he would um, 
like it, it, like we'd have sex he'd finish i'd be just in my own head and then i just like couldn't wait till the moment i could put my clothes back on and go home because i was like i have other things to do i have episodes of game of thrones to watch like so, it's just so you would you would literally check out while he was having sex with you oh yeah or or i would th- like calculate i'd be like okay so if i do this i do this he'll finish faster and then i can get out of here (laughs) like that's so sad yeah it is it's like it is really sad um but it was just like this isn't i was very happy like making out on the couch but as soon as it was like clothes coming off i'm like yeah. That's what the the other listener who uh, yeah. I corresponded with said the same thing. Yeah. That that it's um, they love hugging and kissing. Oh, it's great. Love it. It's great. Yeah. Like, and I I identify as biromantic, asexual. So like, I'm romantically interested in men and women. Um, so like, I'll you know I'll date whomever. Um, I I primarily identify as biromantic because I haven't experienced romantic mm-hmm. attraction towards somebody who's not on the gender spectrum. So it's... There needs yeah. to be an app for asexuals to get together, and I think it could be called Kinda Grinder. <laughs> Semi-grinder. <laughs> Semi-grinder. <laughs> Where you just get together and you... Yeah. Actually, in all seriousness, there if there isn't already, there should be some type of like a uh, way for asexual people to get together that that just want to cuddle and hug and hold each other's faces yeah, and- it's it's funny that you mentioned that there's actually a uh there's a site that's called cuddle party and people like host cuddle parties like there's nothing sexual in nature you just wear your jammies and you just go and cuddle and that's and that's it like you know you just hang out and it's i I'm a little weary on it just because I have issues like going into rooms with a bunch of strangers and nobody I know. Um, but I would still just. Yeah, that would be that weird. Would be a room there. full of people that you don't that you don't know. Yeah. But of course, they're like, if you want to come to the cuddle party and not cuddle with people, that's totally OK. You can yeah. still come and have a good time. Like, it's it's really great. It's it's really beautiful. But like asexuals, we find each other like I'm in a couple um ace groups online and on facebook what do you, what do you call them ace ace um for like the ace of spades i don't know some short thing i didn't come up with it what what does it a- ace stand for um it's just uh like short for asexual because it's just like the first little bit like you oh know, i you, see yeah yeah instead of saying like a um you know people say oh i'm bi i'm gay i'm ace i'm ace yeah oh, okay yeah so it's just a i learned little, so much yeah doing this podcast yeah. i fucking love it yeah, so it's um it's really yeah, so he but back to that boyfriend, he was, you know, he was very sexually aggressive and it was just like it was just such not a good time. That and sounds I, terrible. On top of that, he reminded me a lot of my dad <laughs> and my mom's relationship and I was so grateful I was coming back to the states uh, and could just leave that relationship. What was hard <laughs> about doing getting out of that relationship before you came back to the states um like like getting out of it yeah oh, why, why why do you feel like you didn't do it before you came back to the states was, was there an element of it that you liked was it the company and yeah when it was the cuddling yeah i i'm a very lonely individual um so i like companionship um it's one reason i have two cats uh but it's you know i just 
I like having other people with me. I like having that person I can call and be like, hey, do you want to go do this thing? And they're always going to say yes. Or, you know, if they don't, they're just like, but I'll see you later tonight. You know, it's like they always want to see you. And so I really liked that. Um, but it wasn't until like later in the relationship and it was getting closer to me leaving that I was like, it was all dawning on me. And it was like, oh, I just got to stick it out for two weeks. And then I'm like on like vacation, like I'm traveling around Europe for a week, and then I'm out of here. You know, I can't. Uh, was there something else you wanted to? No, to end? go ahead. As you were sharing that, I just was thinking it, it's so. It, it's almost like that the template for being in a relationship that had those qualities was like laid out for you mm-hmm. as a child. It's like oh, yeah. I'm just going to endure this. My needs don't matter. Yep. I'm just if I if I'm going to get something that I want, I I'm going to have to sacrifice this huge part of myself and not even realizing that this is a part of myself that that maybe I shouldn't be sacrificing. I should maybe it's not healthy to be having sex where I'm on the verge of dissociating from it. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, there were there were other clues too. Like, um, I showed him pictures of like when I was doing drag, and he was just he in in you know similar words he said, "Don't ever show me those pictures again." Um, he also like dismissed my degrees. Um, he sounds like a terrific guy. Oh, he was wonderful. Um, and he also kind of insinuated that he was much smarter than me. He was older getting his master's in astrophysics and I was, you know, just getting my bachelor's in theater arts and women's studies. But, uh, I, I always love to remind people that while he was still getting that degree, um, it was taking him three years to complete a two year degree and I was getting two degrees in three and a half years. (laughs) So really where's the intelligence? Um, (laughs) So I just, you know, it was like, I, I was just so done. I was so done. And I knew that I could just stick it out. The other problem was, was that we had the same friends group. So it was like, I couldn't just. That's always a tough one. Yeah. And it's like, they're my only friends in Ireland. So it was like, God, what do I do? What would you tell? How old were you? 21? I was, yeah, I was 21. What would you tell 21 year old uh, Kelly? Don't date when you study abroad. Just don't do it. Don't do it. You're gonna you're gonna miss out on so many opportunities. But don't in, do it. In particular, that relationship, you know, is <laughs> as you were, yeah, doing these things that you didn't want to do, yeah. and not listening to your your gut. Yeah, yeah. It would have just, you know, just would have been, you know, speak up. Uh, you know, it's like you you did it before. Why aren't you doing it now? Um, but it's like, I also liked his company. Like I liked hanging out with him. And that was the other problem was like, I liked him as a person and I liked him as a friend, but as a boyfriend, I wanted to sock him in the face. Um, but it was, you know, it's, I'm, I'm now after that relationship, I, I'm now a little more weary about dating. Um, it's also a lot harder to date as an asexual, especially as an out asexual, um, because then people are like, wait, you don't want to have sex? And I'm like, no, 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 That's just a discussion we have to have. Um, you know, it's like, just, just talk to me. Like, I'm okay with it. We just have to discuss it. You have to know what I feel and think. And Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I'm okay with it, but just know that I'm not going to be the person initiating it. Would you like to someday be married? 
Oh, I'd love to be married. I would love to be married. Like I, I have like certain things that I dream about for my wedding. Um, you know, I want it to be in somebody's backyard, which is going to be damn near impossible in LA, but I want it to be in backyard. I want it to have, uh, like Southern cooking. Cause I just mm. love Southern cooking, like good cornbread. Mm. Uh, and I want everybody to like, reason I want it in the backyard is so everybody can just get totally shit face drunk and then stay at the house and be safe. And, um, and we can just dance in the backyard with lights and things like that. And, um, it'd be really fun. And like, I dream about things like that. And like, I do want to have kids, but I've always wanted to adopt. Um, even when I was like, basically once I figured out where babies actually come from and that I'd have to do the work, I'm like, Oh no, peace and out of that idea. <laughs> so I, I just, I've always wanted to adopt. Um, so I want to have like one, maybe two kids. Um, but yeah, I, I have all these things, but the being asexual is a little bit of a roadblock. I have the feeling with social media and as our society becomes more and more progressive that it's not going to be such a long shot for um, somebody who is asexual to find a life partner. I, I don't yeah. know. It's just kind of my hunch. Yeah. I mean, there's there's been like success stories and things like that. And um, people, even asexuals dating each other and getting married and things like that, which is really great. Um, and, you know, people get married, like asexuals get married to sexuals all the time. And, uh, you know, it's always a negotiation. It's it's particularly interesting and, and a little bit sad to me when you see like, because um, we have a, a board uh, online called the Asexual Asexuality Visibility and Education Network, or AVEN, um, where we just all congregate, and it's a big forum. And there's, it's always a little sad to read people who are like, "I'm 40, I'm married, I have three kids, and I think I'm asexual." And it's like that's got to be a hard conversation to have with your spouse. Um, but it's like everybody's always so warm and welcoming. And it's like we're here to help. We can, you know, and. Uh, but it does happen, you know, where people realize like, oh my God, that's who I am. And it's, and it's really great, but it's, it's, it's a really great community. Um, and so if, yeah, if you, if you think you might be asexual, like, please check out Avon. It's great. And how do they check it out? Uh, if you go to asexuality.org, um, it's a whole website on asexuality and there's a f button for the forums where you can go and just, there's just thousands of comments and things like that. It's wonderful. I love it so much. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all that uh, that stuff. Yeah. With with me and with with us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, give give us a couple of your fears. Oh, this is going to be fun. I'm so excited about this. I worked really hard on these. Are you feeling any less nervous than you were when we started? I am. I get really nervous when I talk about um, like the stuff with my dad um, because it's still something I'm dealing with. It's still you know an open wound. Um, whereas the asexuality stuff, it's like, I kind of have it more figured out. Um, but yeah. Is it that you're, when you talk about your dad's stuff that you're afraid you're, you're not going to express yourself correctly or that it's going to hurt to talk about or uh, something else? I think it's that I'm not going to be understood and I'm not going to be able to express it the way that I, I need to express it. Uh, and it's still just something that you're always working through. Um, and the sexuality thing I've just been working with mm. for so long that it's like, it's, it, I'm used to it now. Um, and it doesn't hurt, uh, because it's more of a, of a nice exploration, whereas digging deep into 
you know, this this neglect is is so painful. And especially to even see that your parents have faults is really hard. So it's, you know, having to having to look at that and and, you know, see what was actually happening is so hard. It's so hard. Um, but luckily I have a great therapist now and, uh, yeah, so we're, we're working on stuff. I think a lot of times talking about stuff that, uh, has a lot of gray area, uh, in it is scary because there's always a fear that somebody's going to minimize it. Yes. That's Mm -hmm. a huge fear that I have is, and and not that they're going to say it out loud to me, but they're going to walk away and think, oh, look at that fucking basket case that. He doesn't have any, anything better to do than think back on his childhood and, yeah. and you know, fucking pout. Yeah. The dis- the dismissive thing is like, it's a big, it's it's a recurring thing in my life. Like being dismissed emotionally by my parents, being dismissed emotionally by my teachers, being dismissed emotionally by my peers, um, being dis- like growing up, like I had friends leave me all of the time, all the time. Um, moving, just emotionally growing distant. Um, and then like being, you know, I even had a, uh, my last therapist, like this, this recent therapist is relatively new, but the reason I started going to him was because my last therapist, uh, when I said, I think I might be asexual, she said, well, people kind of have that problem a lot of times. Wow. And then that they're is so okay. ignorant. And I went, and I'm gone. <laughs> like it was just like I had also not been liking her for a little bit, but it was like, ugh, ugh. It was yeah. And it's like having somebody completely dismiss your sexuality when that's such a personal thing is the rudest thing you can do, especially as a therapist. I, I, it sounds to me like it came from a place of utter ignorance rather yeah. than dismissiveness mm-hmm. like she thought that you were complaining about the lack of sex in your in your life yeah. rather than it's Ugh. a choice that you're yeah, making that's exactly what happened and when i because came, a lot of people do say yeah. i'm asexual not realizing that what they really want to say is i'm not fucking getting laid yeah yeah and it's like and no, i want to yeah it's like it's a totally different thing and she was like, well, I've had, you know, that happen. And when I said, I think I also might be agender, she's like, well, I've had women come in here with that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done with this. And I actually specifically sought out an LGBT specific therapist. And I told him what had happened with that last therapist. And the face he gave me was priceless because it was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. How can she call herself a therapist? So he's great. Really happy with him. Good. Um. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh it's going it's going well. And but yeah, the dismissive thing, I'm just so sick of being dismissed by what has happened to me and people not accepting that as a potential truth for what happened to me. Like though I grew up in a, you know, a, an affluent area with a great education, yeah, it's like I didn't choose those things and I you know, and I still had this emotional neglect going on. And it's like, it's like, yeah, I had great things, but I also was missing something, you know, that was instrumental mm. in growing up. Do you ever wonder if there is a relationship between uh, the asexuality and the uh, lack of intimacy modeled for you as a as a kid or the opposite of it? The, the, yeah. That it, it was, a you know, to live with somebody 
yeah. was to do you ever think about that um sometimes i do uh and that's and that's where it you know it it gets a little tricky with asexuality because sometimes people do like to blame it on you know oh well you were sexually abused well you know obviously and it's like well there are people who are sexually abused who then become hypersexual like that's not the you know that's not the thing so it's like when you look into you know it, is it nature or nurture mm-hmm. you know it's it's a really fine area and it's whether you choose to accept that that's you know who you are or if it's you know if if you want to change it you know that's that's yeah. just how it is and, and i apologize if that's coming across yeah. as me trying to pathologize no, it it's fine. just more a, a curiosity that i have yeah. and i just kind of wanted to yeah because a lot of this stuff we'll never get answers for we'll never know yeah what, exactly what it is and i'm glad you mentioned about the um uh sexual abuse survivors um they do tend to either be very promiscuous or very shut down Mm -hmm. um and often alternating back and forth between the two yeah and and my therapist and i you know we we kind of talk about like the asexuality thing and you know whether it was something that happened you know because of with my family life uh we've just kind of you know said well are you okay with identifying as asexual i'm like well yeah he's like well okay let's move forward and he just kind of like he's like we have a whole slate of other things to to work out so we've got so this is great we've got one thing checked off how you how you choose to label yourself is the at the bottom of the heap yeah what what to triage yeah he's he's been really great about that like literally i mean i went to him with you know gender and sexuality issues and he's like all right done (laughs) on to the next that's great so yeah i i love him so much he's he's great great. all right give me a couple fears okay uh i'm afraid my dad will outlive my mom and i'll be stuck having to deal with him alone uh i'm afraid my apartment smells so badly like cat pee that i can't notice and when people come over that's all they can smell and they're too nice to say anything no matter how much febreze i spray (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> My little dog Herbert had a epic throwing up session a couple of weeks ago, and I happened to be super depressed that day. So all I could do was just clean the vomit up, but I couldn't bring myself to go get the spray oh. afterwards. And that's where I meditate. And every morning I'm reminded of how lazy I am because I can smell just the faintest whiff of dog vomit on our yeah. carpet. Oh, God, I'm both of my cats have diarrhea right now, which means I got to like get new cat food for them, different cat food. So it's like I'll be laying in bed and I will know when one of them has pooped because all of a sudden it's just this diuretic smell that comes over. And I live in a studio, so there's no hiding from it. And it's like you just roll over and like, (laughs) all right, bleached comforter, save me. But then it gets so hot and it's, oh God, it's the worst. And then it's like, all right, got to get the Febreze, got to go spray down the closet. It's really fun. Pets are really fun. Uh, Okay. Uh, I am afraid I'll have to move back in with my parents and have to relive the emotional abuse of my childhood over and over. Uh, I'm afraid my friends will one day snap and tell me that I'm a horrible person. They've only been putting up with me because they feel bad for me. Uh, I'm afraid of eating spoiled food. Even food a day past its expiration date, I won't fucking eat it. Oh, my God. I will eat a full two weeks past the expiration date. I will drink. My wife is horrified. I will open a thing of milk and smell it, and she'd be like, that expired 10 days ago. I'm like, but it smells okay. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, I have eggnog that expired on the 12th, and I 
like I I poured a glass of it on the 13th and I was like, please don't die. Please don't die. <laughs> I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid of like spoiled food. I have no mm. idea where it comes from. Uh, I am afraid of being in a mass shooting and it will be my fault because I'll have said something wrong to the guy in the checkout line and I'll be the first one gunned down. That is a first. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm afraid I will die alone in my apartment and no one will know what happened to me until I haven't shown up for something days later or until my mother notices I haven't poked her back on Facebook, but at least my cats won't go hungry. That is a super common one on, on, yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, do, 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 do. I'm afraid that one of these days I'll lash out when someone insults something I love and I'll be arrested and everyone in the holding cell will give me patronizing looks because I beat someone senseless over Harry Potter or Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> that is the first. <laughs> give, me, um, give me one more and then we'll okay. go to loves. Oh, one more. Oh, no, there's so many. Oh, I'll do this one. Uh, I'm afraid this podcast episode won't be very interesting and you, Paul, are sitting there wishing you hadn't responded to my email instead of letting it go to your junk folder because this has been such a waste of your time. It has not been and this will air. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay. My loves. Okay. Uh, I love when my cats cuddle up to me in bed and both are purring super loudly like twin motors. Um, I love when I can make my mom laugh really, really hard, which is very difficult, by the way. Uh, to the point when her face turns red, she starts crying and she can't breathe. Um, I love peeling pomegranates because it brings me back to the days in college when my roommate Tiana and I would open several in the kitchen while listening to Pink and complaining about our lighting design classes. Is there anything more labor-intensive other than crab <laughs> to eat than pomegranates? No, there is not. No, there is not. Um I love biking southbound on Cahuenga from the valley uh, and getting to the apex of the hill and literally coasting for a mile. Oh, that's great. That's a fucking workout. Yeah. Biking oh. to the top of uh, Cahuenga Pass. Oh, yeah. It's it's uh, it's murder on your thighs. I always have to like take a break at some point. But, man, getting to the top of that and you are literally coasting for a mile. It's amazing. And then you get to the point where the uh, the on-ramp or the off-ramp from the freeway comes in and then you have to try and merge over right while those people are coming on. Really fun. You should, <laughs> when you hit that moment, right when you're at the apex, you should say to yourself, I'm in North Hollywood. Now I'm in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm free. Oh, uh, I guess there's Universal <laughs> City in between the yeah, two. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's almost where I live. Uh, the, re the rest of the people around the country are fascinated <laughs> with that last little. Uh... Yeah, yeah, it's it's great though. If you ever come to Hollywood, you'll you'll understand. Um, I love singing along to musicals in my car, particularly the tenors parts, since the likelihood I'll ever play these parts are next to zero. But in my car, I can be Elder Price from the Book of Mormon or Gabriel in Next to Normal. Um, I love getting rid of all the notifications on my phone yes i do too oh, God, i love a clean phone oh god and then when you see people who have like tons of notifications you're like oh god how do you exist <laughs> how is this happening do you have a touch of, of ocd oh yeah i do oh yeah i do like i have to if i'm at like a bookstore i have to push all the books back on the back of the shelf um i get a lot of these things from my mom she's got a touch of ocd which is also really fun um, but yeah, that's also feeds into the anxiety thing. But yeah, the OCD, it's really great. Um, I 
love pulling the popcorn bag out of the microwave and discovering that I didn't burn any of it. That's a nice one. Yeah. Especially uh, kettle corn. It's very difficult not to mm. burn any of the kettle corn. Um, do you do you yeah. ever... One of the things, you know, when you were describing, uh, now that you mentioned you, you feel like there's some OCD, do you ever feel like the OCD might make physical intimacy an issue? Um, you know, because sex sometimes can be... You know, there's fluids and there's yeah. odors. And uh, do you ever feel like that? That is a factor because you look at mm. you look at pornography. So yeah. there's a turn on in seeing genitalia and penetration yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. Correct? Yeah. Um, I don't know that that thought just occurred to me. Huh. If there's a um, an aspect to that, the the, the few times that you yeah. Um, had partners that. that you liked was there a repulsion to the graphic uh you know the bodily yeah smells and sounds and all that kind of stuff or um that's not something i've thought about so i'm i'm gonna have to think a little bit more on that um with the men more so than because i did have a girlfriend that i i did some stuff with um and i and i preferred that over the sex with men um but it's i think it's just because i'm more comfortable with that genitalia because i have some of my own um but it's yeah no oh, it's, no, that's it's interesting to me. no that's really interesting i haven't thought about that and that is me trying to pathologize you <laughs> make no mistake uh, i'm telling that. you the orgasm detective <laughs> i i it is endlessly fascinating to me Can why it? why we are the way we are but it but can the orgasm detective be like a serialized, like almost like noir sort of like writing Absolutely. with music? Okay, Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. I would listen to that. Give me a couple more loves. Okay. Uh, I love the works of Vincent van Gogh because not, because I not only relate to his struggle, but I just find his work incredibly appealing and insightful. You have to watch the two documentaries you have to watch. One is, um, uh, about the relationship between um, Theo and uh, and Vincent. Okay. And I forget what it's called, but um, it's based on the postcards, um, okay. the letters that they shared with oh, each other. Awesome. But they also uh, show a as his style is developing and how mm -hmm. he's becoming so excited by his style developing. Yeah. And, um, and they show the... the Scenar the um, landscapes where his some of his paintings were painted, so you see what it looks Ugh, like in reality, awesome. and you see his interpretation of it in his paintings. Yeah. It's fantastic. I and love the that. other documentary you have to see, okay. it hasn't it doesn't have to do with Van Gogh, but it has to do with uh, painting. is called Tim's Vermeer. Okay, and uh, it's it would take me too long to explain it, but it's um, just just watch it. Okay. It's one of the most fascinating okay. documentaries about. Art, the history of art and the technique of art and how people did super, super, super almost photographic, realistic okay. stuff back in the 1700s. That's awesome. It's, it, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, I'm I'm out of serial killer and cult documentaries on Netflix. You too? Uh, yeah. Oh, fucking high five. <laughs> I have watched all of them. What What are your favorites? <laughs> um, I really love, um, I really, oh God, what was it? Uh, uh, oh God. Uh, 
who the fuck did I marry or who the bleep did I marry? That was a, it's a show that was on like TLC and it's like these, it's not, they're not all necessarily like killers, but it's like, it's usually these women who are like, I didn't know my husband was the green, was the green falls killer. It's like he killed 47 women and dropped all of their bodies in the river. And you're like, how do you not know these things? And it's wonderful. I've watched, um, you have to read the book, uh, the psychopath next door. Okay. Okay. A great book that that uh, really sheds a lot of light on the way sociopaths um, are different than psychopaths mm-hmm. and how uh, they both tend to operate. And she okay. gives real life examples. That's awesome of of them. Yeah, and and it's uh, it's fascinating and also kind of heartbreaking because you you wind up having a little bit of empathy for them, even though they do these terrible things. You realize that that especially with psychopaths, there's a genetic lack of empathy they have, and they're terribly terribly lonely people that can only be filled by manipulating and taking risk yeah i i am also like i i i hate having like a favorite serial killer because that's kind of weird but i love jeffrey dahmer i think his story is endlessly fascinating um i read the have you read the graphic novel by um derf back derf it's a graphic novel called um, that's the noise i make when i burp derf back derf derf back derf and he wrote a graphic novel um about growing up with jeffrey dahmer because he did actually grow up with him yeah like they went to the same high school and it's this whole story of you know of how he was up to like when when Durf met him up to either they're not sure on the timeline either right after he dropped off his first body or right before he dropped wow. off his first body they're not sure where it where it places him and it's so good speaking of uh people writing stuff about a person they grew up with that committed mm-hmm. crimes uh, there's a woman who wrote a book. Uh, she went to high school with Deborah Lefebvre. Do you remember who she was? No, she was I the don't. teacher um, that had sex with like a 14 year old uh, student. Oh, yeah, that was she was the, like... the very attractive blonde one. Yeah, and, yeah, um, I do remember that. And so she wrote this piece of fiction inspired by that. And it's from the point of view of the Deborah Lefebvre uh, okay. based character. And she does such. A fascinating job mm-hmm. of helping you understand why a woman, not why they would necessarily be attracted to a 14-year-old boy, but how they would go about grooming and yeah. what gets them off. And so it, it, it's fascinating. Really, really well written. Yeah. Really well written. Yeah. And I, the, the name of it escapes me, but it's yeah. um, okay. It's really good. I'll have to look that it's up. It's really good. Yeah, because I've also been... For for my web series, I've been doing a lot of research on cults. So uh, I've been reading a lot about like Scientology. Um, Going Clear by Lawrence Wright is amazing. It's this huge expose on Scientology. Um, and then there's I've also been reading a lot about Jonestown and the, the people. That's a, those are some great documentaries. Oh on yeah, that. yeah. Because they've there's, got some. There's an really amazing cool footage. One. There's an amazing one on Netflix right now. Yeah. Um, I think the saddest thing about Jonestown might have been the humidity. Yeah, right? God, it's got to be so hot. Ugh. And then the grape grape Kool-Aid of all, of all choices. <laughs> I would have gone with orange, but that's besides the point. Um, okay, more loves. Uh, I love airports and train stations because the fast-paced nature of them is euphoric and that uh, it's this small socioeconomic ecosystem that keeps whirling with excitement and adventure. 
I get that same feeling from a coffee shop. I love yeah. just things swirling around me, having a nice comfy chair, and uh, just being yeah. being still, being kind of like the center of the uh, the bustle. Yeah. I also like making up stories for people, mm-hmm. like what they're doing, like where they're going, who they're talking to. There was a guy that, that set his backpack down, and then I couldn't see if he was getting in line to order mm-hmm. drinks or, in my mind, I was convinced that he was a bomber and he had dropped a bomb off. And I really started, my, oh, my no. heart started beating fast. And oh, when he no. came back with his drink and sat down, I was like, I felt terrible. No. I felt oh, terrible. God, you're like, I'm sorry, I'm yeah. sorry. I suspected you of that. Yeah, but he had no idea the whole drama that went on in <laughs> five minutes. Um, I love seeing a car that tried to get around me get stuck in the lane next to me and I passed that, them as they received their comeuppance. That is fantastic. Uh, it is a brilliant moment <laughs> when you're on the freeway and that happens. Um, though the listeners can't see it, uh, I love wearing knit hats because it, they keep me present. I'm wearing a skunk knit hat that is that I've had it's since very, college. It's very cute. I love it. Um, I let's see. I love. Uh, I love the smell of blueberry rooibos tea because it reminds me of the days in college working in the theater electrics crew at the Englert Theater, uh, hanging lighting equipment in the early morning while listening to 80s music our supervisor picked out that day. Is there anything better than those moments when you're a college student and you're collaborating with your peers all working towards the same goal? You all have this similar sense of humor and and you all have this agitated excitement about where am I heading in my life? I'm excited that I'm doing something creative, but I'm scared shitless because this is a (laughs) terrible choice in in terms of safety in in the world. Constantly, especially like I I was mostly on the technical end. I I emphasized in playwriting and lighting design. So uh, it was, it's always just such a, it's such a crapshoot with going into any of the arts it's just like you either got to be really good or be okay with having a day job and doing this on the weekends yep. and i'm i'm lucky enough i have parents that are you know that are financially supporting me to try and get me to the point of being mm-hmm. able to do it full time uh which i i'm very appreciative of um give me two more loves okay two more uh I love sleeping in hammocks and being wrapped up in a cocoon as I sway back and forth like a baby in a motorized swing. That's a nice one. And um, I love going to the deep woods and laying down on the ground, staring up into the stars, seeing all the stars you can't see in the city, feeling like the sky is giving me a big hug with its vast presence. Wow. What a beautiful one to end on. I know I say that all the time, but I do genuinely. I I, I never am bullshitting when I yeah. when I say that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Kelly Mags, thank you so much for coming and uh, sharing your your life and your inner your inner life with uh, with us. It's, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Many many thanks to uh, to Kelly, and I got an update uh, from Kelly. Um, now working in a mortuary and transitioning to, um, uh, male and, um, doing well, enjoying life. And, uh, many thanks to, uh, to Kelly for, for coming on. And, uh, I learned, I learned so much doing this show and I think episodes like hers are so important. Um, the stuff around her parents, because 
I think the stuff that really fucks with us is the stuff where it's the absence of, of, of something. And um, um, anyway, I'm just I'm just running my mouth at this point. I want to remind you that there are a couple of different ways to support this show. Um, we've got a bunch of surveys to get through and uh, some really good stuff. But uh, before we get to that, yeah, there's a couple of different ways to support the show if you feel so inclined. Um, you can uh, go to our website, mentalpod.com, and uh, make a one-time PayPal donation. Or the one that I really, really love, and we could definitely use some help with, which is becoming a monthly uh, PayPal, um, recurring monthly donor. It's super easy to set up, and once you have it set up, you don't have to do anything. And you can sign up for as little as five bucks a month, and it means the world to me. So um, I would greatly appreciate it if you do that. Also, if you're going to buy something at Amazon, do it through the search portal on our homepage, and then Amazon will give us a couple of nickels, and it doesn't cost you anything. And you can help us non-financially by spreading the word uh, about the podcast through social media. Or going to iTunes, writing something nice and giving us a good rating. That helps boost our visibility. Uh, let's get to, to the, um, oh, I guess I should give you an update on, on, uh, how I'm doing these days. Um, feeling, uh, feeling a little bit better. Um, still the depression kind of comes in and goes. Um, had a couple of really good days last week where I went to the gym and my mood was good and I didn't have to put on the phony face of, you know, where people ask you how you're doing and you're like, I don't want to go into it. So you just kind of plaster a smile and go, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Um, had a couple of days where I didn't didn't have to do that, and that was um, that was really nice. Um, but you know, I'm okay. I'm okay, and I'm not just bullshitting when I when I say that. I certainly have some shit on my plate that I'm dealing with, but um, who doesn't, huh? Get in fucking line. How's that? How's that for some tough love? This is a shame and secret survey that was filled out. Excuse me for one second. Oh. Another update. Herbert has ringworm. How's that? I love that. Like he's he sits. One of the things he likes to do is eat his food slower than Ivy, and then he lords over her the fact that he still has food left, and so he'll go to whatever room she's in, and he'll have you know either part of a treat left or maybe a couple of pieces of dry food, and he'll sit there and just watch over it like a you know, like a drug dealer on a corner, just any, if Ivy moves a muscle, he starts growling and, or making, making this sad sound like, like someone has just taken his, his blanket from him. And I love the fact that he does all this while his fur is being eaten by ringworm. Not the least concern about that. So we're giving him medication, and uh, he's doing better, but oh my God, fucking love. I fucking love Ivy and her Herbert there. You know, those days when you're just like, when you want to live in the walk-in closet, those are, those are the days. Maybe I, I need to build a walk-in closet and then uh, just get the two of them in there. And just shut all you motherfuckers out and watch Netflix. What do you think of that? All right. This is a survey that was filled out by a guy who calls himself E. And um, this is from the Shame and Secret survey. He is straight. He's in his 30s. 
was raised in an environment that was slightly dysfunctional. Uh, and this is only partially filled out. Uh, you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, he writes, this didn't come back to me until very recently when I listened to one of your podcasts. Uh, when I was in elementary school, a daughter two years older than me uh, of a family friend that lived literally across the street used to want to play house with me. We would inevitably always end up under the covers, either in bed or on the floor watching TV. She would always slide her hand down my pants and fondle my penis. She would simultaneously tell me to slide my hand down her pants and play with her vagina. She would then tell me, what to do with my hand. This was my very first ever sexual encounter before I even knew anything about sex. This went on for about two years or so. At first, I w always felt awkward, but then slowly started to get pleasure out of it. I think that it only ended because they moved across town. I now find myself fantasizing about being with women and letting them have complete control over me, having them tell me what to do uh, and when, essentially being a puppet to them. Uh, oh, telling me what to do and when essentially being a puppet to them. I also have a relationship with porn and find myself turning to it whenever I am home alone, frustrated, or need to escape. Um, darkest Thoughts. He writes, see Deepest Darkest Secrets section. Deepest Darkest Secrets. Not sure if this is a thought or a secret since there are a couple very close friends, including the wife, that know. I have developed many sexual fantasies over the past several years. They started with your typical type sexual fantasies and then started getting more and more into the socially taboo. These taboo fantasies started with just general kinks, being tied up, soft BDSM, etc., but evolved into fantasizing about pre-op male-to-female transgender ladies. I regular, regularly fantasize about sexual encounters with this group of people, and most of the porn I watch involves this group. Um, and that's as far as he got in his survey. And I just wanted to say the 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 type of, of pornography you're watching is is not a problem. It's it's the the fact that it's your primary and it sounds like only method to cope or soothe yourself. And um that I think would be something to maybe go talk to a talk to a therapist about, but um certainly don't feel don't feel shame about it. Um the first time I saw a um, trans female, um, you know, with uh, uh, breasts and a penis, uh, it's uh, I was I was like, oh my god, I'm so fucking turned on by that. And then, of course, you know, immediately the you know macho bullshit comes up, like, oh, but I'm not gay, but I'm not gay, and. Um, all of this in my head, but uh, I'm totally okay with uh, with that, and I think you should be too. I think we all uh, should be. It's oh, shut up, Paul. Jesus, <laughs> sorry. I could only keep the voice at bay for so long. This is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Hulk. And um, let's see, what did I want to read on this one? Um, Oh, about her being a sex crime victim. Uh, she writes, wanting to find every man that violated me, wanting to know where they live and who else they've hurt, wanting to show them for what they really are, wanting justice for their crimes, but knowing that I can't even remember their faces and won't ever be able to find them, knowing they will never answer for what they did to me and knowing that I will never be able to accept that, that when I die, I will spend my last minute alive feeling like I'm starving for the validation I'll never get. You know, as I read that, I... I hope that you're in some type of recovery 
or support group for people who share um, your experience um, because that can that can help heal that that need for for validation. Um, I felt that in my support groups, and it's a fucking awesome feeling to not be alone with that to that with that pain. Um, and this I wanted to read. She she writes, um, if you attack me, I will fall apart. I will not fight back. I will cower and crawl. I deserve it. If you attack someone else, I turn into the Hulk. I will fight. I will save the world or watch it burn. Thank you for sharing that. This is from uh, the babysitter survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Shameful Boob. And uh, she writes, I had an older female friend babysitting me and my older sister. One day while at the beach, she talked us into skinny dipping. I was four or five and my sister was seven or eight. After we returned to her house, she allowed my sister to stay outside and play while I was to take a shower. She was already in the shower naked when I got to the bathroom. She wanted me to get naked and get into the shower with her. She told me this while washing her breasts in my plain view and asking if I wanted to help her. As a babysitter later in life, I always made sure to respect children's privacy and physical boundaries. Having the child wash their own private parts and outside of changing a diaper, never touching a child, female or male, in their genital areas or breast. I did not ever tell anyone outside of my therapist 20 years later. I did not think it was normal and um, I was quite afraid during the situation. I believe this has made me not be able to look at a female body and see it as beautiful, not even my own. Um, remembering these things, what feelings come up? Uh, she writes, I think I feel fear and shame. I remember being able to see outside where my sister was playing and wishing she would come save me. Wow. Do you feel any damage was done? Yes, there was damage done. Due to my job, I in I am an EMT. I tend to see people at their worst and have to sometimes make them naked to help take care of them. And whenever I see another woman's breast, it always makes me feel shameful. Thank you for sharing that. This is a struggle in the sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself Cat and Freddy. And uh, about her borderline personality disorder, she writes, Hours of selfishness and cycles of intense self-hate, depression, fear and anger, and euphoria broken up by 30 seconds of terrifying clarity. Snapshot from her life. At this moment, I'm laying in bed, awaiting the arrival of my boyfriend after telling him in the middle of his workday that since coming off my meds two weeks ago, I've spent my entire half of our rent money on useless junk. That is quite a picture you paint. Thank you for that. I never, uh, I never get tired of the descriptions of um, borderline personality disorder because it's so complex and it's it's such a it is such a burden. Uh, it seems to be such an intense burden on those who suffer with it um, and and the people around them who often don't understand what's going on because the person with it often doesn't understand what's going on. Uh, this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself, I don't even know how the fuck you pronounce this, E-S-U-R-I-E-N-T, Assurient. She writes her happy moment, the day I got my llama, Kublai Khan. It's actually the only moment I can remember when I was quite happy. He was only just a baby and we bonded right from the start. When he shows he loves me back, it makes me forget about my worries and makes me feel warm and fuzzy. I think I also want Kublai Khan in the walk-in closet with the blankets and the Netflix. 
And thank God you picked Kublai Khan instead of Genghis Khan, because that would be that would be really fucked up having an adorable pet with the. Uh... Have you guys met my duck Hitler? Why are you Why are you backing away from Hitler? He just wants some crackers. This is shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself always DTF. I don't know what DTF stands for. I could Google it, but uh, I'm busy thinking about my walk-in closet nest. He uh, He's straight. He's in his 30s. He was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Of course, the classic. Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. When I was five, my cousin, who was seven, experimented on me sexually. He asked me to put his penis in my mouth and lick his anus and did the same to me. We tried penetrating each other, but neither of us were able to get an erection. Another incident occurred later the same year when a friend from school, uh, that pretty much went the same way. Ever been uh, physically or emotionally abused? He writes, not sure. My father completely ignored me growing up. I have a hard time thinking of it as abuse because he never got angry or physical, but I still feel like it messed me up. He worked long hours, took overtime on the weekends that he didn't have to take, and when he came home, he sat silently, miserably drinking beer and watching TV. He avoided feelings or any confrontation with my mother to the extent that I never saw them argue. I only saw her bring up an issue and watched him squirm and try to get out of it somehow. As an adult, I have heard his words with his inflection coming out of me towards my wife. I am terrified of setting this example for my son. I am trying desperately to get to a place where I can have healthy arguments with my wife and not shut her out and act out behind her back. Any positive experiences with your abusers? When I was 17, I had my one and only long conversation with my dad. I had taken some painkillers prescribed to me, and they made me feel a little more relaxed and chatty. We talked about religion and politics for a few hours. We disagreed completely, but it was nice to have something to talk about. What are your darkest thoughts? I have had countless fantasies about my mother, sisters, and several female cousins, all of whom are adults. I would never break those boundaries with any of them because I know how devastating that would be. Darkest secrets. When my wife is angry at me and it's more than I can handle, I act out by cheating on her. Typically, it has been escorts and massage parlors, but more recently, I had a love affair with someone I met through work. It sounds like sex addiction to me. What are the sexual fantasies most powerful to you? Incest, sex with strangers, cheating, risky sex without condoms or birth control. And I say that not because, um, not because of the fantasies, um, but because of the. That's your. It sounds like your primary way to express um, your frustration. Uh, what if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? My wife found out about my affair, but doesn't know that I will that I never ended it because the girl in question is blackmailing me to keep me involved with her as well as extorting money from me. Wow. I don't even know what to say as to how, what to what to do with that. Not that you're asking for my advice, but um, I hope you're going to a therapist. Uh, what, if anything, do you wish for to live honestly? There was a time I had no secrets from friends and girlfriends, but through a series of compromises and bad decisions, I painted myself into a corner. Well, sending you a hug, buddy. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself Salamander and about being a sex crime victim. She writes, um, being a CSA and rape survivor, uh, 
uh, CSA is uh, childhood sexual abuse. Uh, being a CSA and rape survivor means having to convince yourself that it's not a good life choice to kill the people who took your life away on a regular basis. Um, growing up in a conservative religious cult means having hardwired dogma constantly trying to sabotage every step in the healing process. A snapshot from her life. One of my worst snapshots, getting sent to multiple exorcisms between the ages of 13 and 17 to rid me of my, quote, demons, ranging from the, quote, demons of homosexuality, depression, suicidal thoughts, and self-harm, to the ways my dissociative disorder made me act out while the abuse was happening. It took me about five years after the last exorcism to finally quit believing I was possessed, and eight years to start accepting that it was okay for me to be pansexual and not my assigned gender. Today, the dogma I was taught still haunts me, but I'm getting better at dismantling it and taking my life back. To anyone else that's been through something similar, you're not alone. And by the way, that uh, book that... The two books that Kelly mentioned, uh, the one uh, Growing Up with Dahmer, I think it was called, or My Friend Dahmer, I, I, since I recorded that episode with Kelly, um, our guest Ariana... Uh, sent me that book as a as a gift, and I haven't haven't delved into it yet, but it looks really good. And the other book she mentioned, Going Clear, um, is now a documentary on HBO. And if you haven't seen it, watch it. It is fascinating. This is a happy moment uh, filled out by Veronica, and she writes, "This might sound ridiculous. My happy happiest moments are when there are two or more people listening to me talk, just staring at me with anticipation and interest. It makes me feel wanted and important. I'm such an introvert, introverted person uh, that who doesn't spend much time with people that when I do get to socialize, it's the best feeling. But then I have to be, have to go back to my safe zone when I've been doing it for too long a period of time and being back in the safe zone may be weeks. Well, thank you for that, and I totally, totally relate to that. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself uh, self-obsessed. She is bisexual. She's in her 20s. She was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, Ever been sexually abused? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. When I was a child, I was sitting on my uncle's lap, and he put his hand down my panties. I don't remember past that point, apart from the fact that instead of feeling fear, I felt excitement and wanted him to touch me. Um, that's still abuse. That's still abuse. Clearly abuse, uh, whether it felt good to you or not. Uh, ever been physically or emotionally abused? Uh, my mother was diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder and had postnatal depression. As a baby, there was not much of a parent-child bond due to the depression and the fact that my brother didn't like her touching me and as he has always as he has always been her favorite child, she allowed and enjoyed his possessiveness. As a toddler and a young child, when my brother went to boarding school, I became her narcissistic supply and she would come crying to my bed at night for consolation when she and my father fought, which was constant. When I became a teenager and started trying to draw boundaries, she was in constant competition with me, ignoring me for weeks at imagined slights, talking loudly about me to other family members and saying that she wanted to die or run away any time that she was criticized or I tried to speak up for myself. Either that or she would fly into a rage and try to physically hurt me. I remember her dragging me down the passageway by my hair, then throwing me against a cupboard at one point when I had tried to point out something inappropriate she had done. 
She would read my emails, flirt with my boyfriends, and try to be befriend my friends. She completely controlled the family with her intense emotions and outbursts, and she was happiest when I kept my head down and did not participate in family life. If I did try to bond with my brother or father, she would accuse me of flirting with them. She had no sense of the appropriate and did things like teach me to swallow a knotted ball of string, then pull it back up my throat showing me how to make myself vomit if I had ever eaten too much. Every day was a show of one or another personality she had adopted for the day which needed to be supported or you were met with rage. The saddest thing is that I can see who she could be if she did not have this dis- disorder and I am trying to mourn that person and that I will never get to know her. That is fucking deep. That is so... And and what a... What a... a you've clearly done a lot of work on yourself. The fact that you can see through her disorder and have compassion for her, that is painfully beautiful. Any positive experiences with your abusers? I remember positive experiences as a young child when I remember seeing her as a gentle, affectionate, and spiritual person that I admired. I can now see this was only due to the fact that I was a doting child desperate for her approval. Deepest, darkest thoughts. I often have visions of hurting my mother. I can see so much of her in me, and I'm secretly worried that I either have borderline personality disorder or I am also a narcissist. This is all complicated by the fact that I have bipolar. Apart from mood swings, though, I have intense emotions, am overly sensitive, and cannot deal with criticism. I am self-involved and often not self-aware enough to catch when I'm being manipulative. I play games and and am destructive. I've had years of counseling and have been told I am definitely not a narcissist, nor do I have borderline personality disorder, but I don't know if this is because I have not represented things clearly enough to my psychiatrists and counselors. If I don't change, I will never be able to have children. I refuse to repeat the pattern, and I will lose my husband. You sound so beautifully self-aware and flawed like the rest of us, and you know... I, people say this a lot of times in a way that's cliche, but you are doing the best that you can, and it sounds like you're doing a lot, and I just want to send you some love. Um, darkest secrets. I have tried to make my husband jealous deliberately uh, to see that he loves me. I have tried to worry him about my mental health, and I have always sought attention through the concern of others. I'm a freelancer, and I charge by the hour, and have kept timing, uh, and have kept timing and therefore charging when I'm doing things like looking at Facebook. Uh, what if anything would you like? Oh, uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I have a big fantasy of fucking a woman with a strap on. Uh, what if anything would you, I'd actually like to fuck a woman with a strap on, but I'd like it right, right next to my penis and just a little bit smaller than my penis. And I don't know why. And uh, and what I'd like to do is tip back my cowboy hat and uh, and say to my wife, "Are you ready for both barrels?" What do you think of that? That sounds pretty sexy. Not on this planet, but on some planet out there, I think that'd be pretty sexy. Um, what if anything would you like to say to someone you have been able to? I would like to tell my husband not to give up on me. Tell him that I will do everything I can to change, and I would like to tell my brother that he can be his own person and doesn't have to be the inverse of my mother. Um, what if anything do you wish for I wish to be a healthy self-aware person who emotionally supports and validates my husband above myself well I think you are already a very self-aware person 
and you're working hard at your health. You know, I, none of us are, are fucking perfect. Uh, if you share these things with others, I feel it would be manipulative to tell my husband not to give up on me. Um, you know, I, I wonder what else you could, you could say to him. Maybe that, um, maybe, uh, just say, I know I can be hard to live with, and I just want you to know that I'm, um, I'm making a concerted effort to, to keep myself mentally and emotionally uh, healthy and uh, close to you. How do you feel after writing these things down? It brings up emotions I usually subdue. I feel like crying for myself, for my family, and for my husband. Uh, anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Suicide is never a solution. Keep trying. Get in touch with your rage. Face yourself and be realistic about your dark side, but try to do it with compassion. <laughs> Any comments to make the podcast better? None. Maybe say cunt more. <laughs> Fucking love you guys. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by uh, Veronica. And about her borderline personality disorder, she writes, I have no idea who I am, what I like, and what I enjoy doing. I'm always afraid of what people think. I'm so scared of being rejected. I daydream a lot. I'm 23 years old, and I make up my own imaginary friends. That gives me comfort. It makes me know who I am uh, when I'm daydreaming about that dream life. I have my own personality when I daydream about having those friends. It's sad when I snap out of it, and then I get really depressed. And that I can somehow, and that how, how I can sometimes forget how I am. I hate any small negative thing that comes in my way because to me, it's like it's the end of me. I just want to be normal. I feel like I'm not experiencing the normal life of a human being. Snapshots from her life. Being alone for long periods of time makes me forget who I am. It makes me feel like I'm dreaming and not really me in my own mind. Thank you for that. This is struggle in a sentence uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself Joe Cat 88 and about her depression. She writes, like I'm submerged in cartoonish mud while butterflies are pulling at my hair. I'm sorry. That was such a poor sentence by any standards. <laughs> it made me laugh so hard when I read this. I fucking love when people just give up in the middle and bag on themselves. It's so nice to know I'm not the only one that has to give in to the tyrant the tyrant in the skull. Uh, snapshot from her life. I'm sitting at a table of relatives who I love, respect, adore. And yet I make an excuse to go to the bathroom just to take a huge shot of alcohol, then feel the amalgam of relief, sadness, and shame as I hear my family having a nice, normal, and perhaps profound moment in the background. Instead, I slink back in, even though I've stood frozen for 10 minutes at the other side of the wall, and I say, what I miss? That is that is quite a picture you paint. Thank you for sharing that. It's kind of heartbreaking. This is um, shame and secret survey filled out by Dean. He is gay. He's in his 20s. He was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, never been sexually abused. Uh, ever been physically or emotionally abused. He writes, I'm not out, but it's pretty obvious to everyone in my immediate family that I'm gay. We've just never openly acknowledged it. When I was younger, my mom would open, openly express her disgust with homosexuality within the ear, earshot of me. I suppose this was to make it clear that, that, uh, that if I was gay, um, 
I was never to share that part of my life with them. This was fine, and over time, I learned to dissociate myself from my family, so much so that I no longer see them as real people and feel no love for them. They're just people I live with. It started to affect me recently because I've been struggling with boys because of my depression and anxiety. The worst thing is, my parents are aware of my mental illness and have been supportive, but I guess sexuality is one line they can't cross. Darkest thoughts. I know for a fact that the day my parents die, I will release a deep breath of relief. I often imagine my entire family dying in a car crash and I feel absolutely nothing. My greatest fear is that I will never be able to love anyone because of what these people have forced me to become. I feel like a particular part of my soul died in this house and now I can never care for anyone. Darkest secrets. My uncle died of AIDS a couple of years ago. I strongly suspect that he might have been a homosexual in denial because he was devoutly religious and had several children by three women, yet he was always miserable no matter what. My parents have always suspected that my mental illness is the result of some abuse in the past that I have never told them about. It's not. I have never been physically or sexually abused, and my mental illness developed gradually over time. Here's the dark secret. I've decided that if things ever get difficult with my parents, I'm going to tell them that my late uncle raped me when I was young, and that is the cause of everything. I know it's an unspeakably evil thing to do, but I've realized and I'm happy to ruin their lives and emotion, their lives and emotion uh, to protect my own. I hope I never have to use this awful imaginary trump card, but if push comes to shove, it's happening. I know what kind of person I've become, and I don't know if it's their fault or my own. I'm moving out in September to go to university, and I'm never looking back. I'd like to believe that I'm still a good person deep down inside, and maybe I'll change when I leave this house and start building my own life. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I often fantasize about sleeping with sexual criminals. I actively seek out the work of a porn star who has been convicted of statutory rape. I have no personal inclination towards minors, so I think it's the taboo of being with men like this that thrills me. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? My biological father disowned me before I was born and died about 15 years later. I'd like to have met him and congratulated him on knowing what was best for himself. He must have gone to a really good psychic. What, if anything, do you wish for? I want to be married. I want a husband who I love more than anything. I want a nice house, a big garden, and two Rottweilers. I just uh, want to be fucking healthy, both physically and mentally. I don't want to stay in an environment that encourages me to be such an awful person. Have you shared these things with others? Nope, no one. My best friend knows I'm gay and depressed, but I don't share much with anyone. How do you feel after writing these things down? It gives me hope. I know that if I had been raised in an open, accepting family, I would have been just fine. But the fact that I'm conscious of this lets me know that I have the power to make myself fine in spite of everything. Anything you'd like to share with anyone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Disregard all your guilt, all of it. It's the only thing holding you in place. Fuck everyone and do what you want. Thank you for sharing that. Sending you some love. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself PMP and uh, about her uh, facial tics. She writes, I know my face tics make me look insane to people on the subway, but at least in New York, nobody cares. Snapshot from her life. I'm constantly terrified of becoming my mother, alcoholic, broke, and alone. I have to always be on guard, always ready to fight myself and my impulsive nature. If I'm not boring, I'm in danger.
Thank you for that. Uh, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself still trying to prove I'm not part of this family. And she writes, I'm 40 and live with a variety of mental illnesses. I've gone to many years of therapy and work on myself in a ton of different ways. After asking my parents to come to family therapy with me, as ahem, perhaps at the core of many of my issues, maybe some of the people in the room, they happily agreed and participated wholeheartedly. After three sessions, I overheard my dad say to the therapist as we were leaving, thank you, this has been great, and I think we are all fixed now. Yes, that about sums it up. 40 years of relationships fixed in three hours, apparently. Needless to say, the therapist and I had a great laugh the next week. Nothing like living what you've been talking about in therapy in real life with your therapist. Take a swig of water. How are we doing on time? I forgot to tell you guys, Herbert uh, sends his best. And he's asked you to stay away from his four pieces of food. But you're welcome to come play with his ringworm. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself BAE. And um, I just want to read a couple of things from this. Um, She was uh, sexually abused and reported it. Um, She's been physically abused. She's been emotionally abused. And... um, She writes um, about any positive experiences with your abusers. I loved my ex-boyfriends who who abused me. That still bothers me that I could love them. But my childhood abuser, I never loved him. Darkest thoughts. I want to plunge a huge knitting needle through my childhood abuser's tongue and then hang him by it and watch as his innards get pulled out. Also, uh, I want him to painfully die of hemorrhoids. For some reason, I have that song, Damn, It Feels Good to Be Gangsta, going through my head right now, to be a gangster going through my head right now. Can I have sounded whiter when I read that? Um, that's quite an image, the, the knitting needle uh, through the abuser's tongue. I think you, if you're going to, if you're going to uh, plunge it into something to hang them by, I think you got to go with the, uh, with the big chunk of wood uh, hanging over the fireplace, the mantle. I think, uh, I think a nice, probably a good, uh, good soft wood. Cause you know, you don't want to try to like, plunge that thing into walnut and then just have the needle bend you know that that's not gangster i also kind of like the hemorrhoids dying of hemorrhoids can you imagine how fucking big your hemorrhoids would have to be to die (laughs) your coffin would be shaped like a pear Darkest secrets. I have rape fantasies, not of being raped myself, but of watching other women be raped. I think it just makes me feel uh, like because I'm having the fantasies, the abusers don't control me. I don't know. It makes sense somehow. And I wanted to read that because I think that might be, in our four years of doing this show, somebody embracing the rape fantasy and being okay with it. And I would like to high five you through the internet. Um, (laughs) anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences don't listen to the song everybody hurts by rem when you're depressed thank you that for that um this is this is a shame and secret survey this was filled uh out by a woman who calls herself if so girl 
and she is straight. She's in her 30s. Uh, well, she writes straight, but every now and then I just want to fuck a girl. No relation, no relationship, no caring, just fucking. Um, she's in her 30s. She was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. She was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Um, she writes, I was molested by my older brother from about 5 to 11. He's six years older than me. I'm not sure how much happened. I know sometimes he'd have a friend or two there, but I don't have a lot of clear memories. I was also raped by my husband. Ever been emotionally uh, or physically abused? Uh, yes, to both. Uh, my mother has OCD and anxiety. She dieted like crazy and always had a snide comment about my weight. I'm a full six inches taller than she is, but she would always point out she weighed less. By 14, I was anorexic. Flash forward 20-some years, I've divorced my husband and I'm suffering the effects of PTSD. I've lost so much weight from stress. I'm 5'8 and size 4. I weigh 110 pounds and I cry because I want to eat, but I can't. Everything makes me gag. I'm put on a medication to calm my anxiety. After almost a year, I start to eat again. I go from a size 4 to a size 8 in 3 months. I'm feeling better. I don't look like Skeletor anymore. I'm happy. Then my mother says, you're starting to look a little wide. My world stops, and now I worry about every bit of food I put in my mouth again. I think you should have said to your mom, you sound a little cunty. I think that might have silenced her. Uh, any positive experiences with your abusers? I've come to a kind of acceptance about what happened with my brother. I love him. I'd protect him with my life, but I'll never leave my daughters alone with him. My ex-husband, I have to see him regularly because of the kids. It's been five years and I still can't look directly at him. Darkest thoughts. I get off on brother-sister porn as well as rape fantasy. All in word form, though. I'm refined and like to read my smut. Darkest secrets. I have a memory of waking up face down in the bed with my rear end in the air. I could feel and hear my brother behind me. I stayed as still and as quiet as I could. I don't know if there was penetration, but when he was done, I remember him pulling my panties back up and smacking my butt before going back to his room. I would have been five or six at the time. Oh, that is... <sighs> sexual fantasies uh, most powerful to you fantasies where I have no control I feel like because of my history it's wrong that the idea of rape gets me off uh, that it's because of my history I like it what if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to I'd like to tell my hus ex-husband how much I hate him for what he did to me what if anything do you wish for a happy life for my girls have you shared any of these things with others? About my fantasies, I don't think anyone I know would understand. The first time I told a friend about my ex-husband, she said it wasn't rape, just a shitty way for a husband to treat his wife. I have since told other friends and my current boyfriend who have all been supportive. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm sending you a hug. Am I cheap with the hugs and the love tonight? This is a struggle in a sentence, and this is filled out by a guy who calls himself, oh, no, a woman who calls herself um, physician, heal thyself. 
and a snapshot from her, her life. She writes, at a recent interview for my dream job, the supervisor made a comment about my body weight. I immediately panicked that my anorexia was going to take my career away from me, and my best friend made me promise to buy supplements to make up for calories that I missed during the day. I immediately googled the calorie content of Boost versus Ensure and chose to buy the one with 10 fewer calories than the other. The box is still in my fridge, unopened. Thank you for that. Same uh, survey filled out by a woman who calls herself physics freak about her depression. She writes, all the unconscious processes your brain normally does for you are gone. You literally cannot relate to other people because when they talk to you, you just stay numb. Bye-bye reactions, bye-bye mirror neurons, feeling isolated and awful, then in turn isolating yourself for protection. Boy, boy, is that, that is a vivid and accurate description. About being a sex crime victim, I still sometimes flinch when my partner goes between my legs, especially if it catches me off guard. I hate men for being attracted to me. My looks are all anyone talks about, and a stranger commenting on it makes me nervous and scared. My shell is all they care about, and sometimes it is hard to hold on to my inner self. Snapshot from her life. Wake up, put on mask, go to work, spend lunch hour crying in the dark corner of an empty meeting room, rinse, repeat. That's heartbreaking. Sending you some love. And you know, people that the society deem attractive, uh, you know, I think often have that, that hurdle where people think that because they're good looking that uh, they shouldn't have much to complain about as if being attractive is going to solve all your problems. This is an awful moment from uh, a woman uh, who calls herself sickly two-faced and she writes, uh, I, yeah, I said it was an awful moment. Uh, she writes, messaging my boyfriend's roommate after he tried to kill himself, telling him I'm so glad he's okay and then I'm here for him while taking note of how we did it because it sounds like the ideal way for me to go. That is fucking awfulsome. Thank you for that. Um, this is just an excerpt from a Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Jon Snow. By the way, is everybody else excited about Game of Thrones coming back? Um, under the darkest secrets, he writes, Towards the end of one of my relationships, I was cleaning the bathroom of my girlfriend and her toothbrush fell into the open toilet. I gave it an extra swish, replaced it, and never said a word. Two weeks later, she couldn't understand why I got such a big smile every time she would pick a fight. Uh, this is also an excerpt I want to read from a Shame and Secret survey filled out by Sierra. And I wanted to read this because I feel like this is the epitome of how complex people can be, especially parents. And this is about her father. These two separate things. She writes, he would tell me I was worthless and that nobody could ever love me. I remember one night when I was 15, he told me that he hated me and that I should kill myself. And then he spit in my face. And then under the question, any positive experiences with your abusers? She writes, when I was really young, I remember one year there was this really big snowstorm and he spent hours building this huge fort for me and my sister. When he was finished, he made hot cocoa and played 
with us in that fort for hours. It was times like these where he showed that he could be a kind and caring man that make it so hard now to hate him, even though I know I have every right to. Wow. That is, um, that is like life in a fucking nutshell, what she just, what she just wrote. Herbert, can you hear him? Jealous that Ivy's eyeing his half a treat. Uh, this is an email that I got from um, a woman uh, who calls herself R. And she writes, After much dithering, I found a great place in my area and went to my first appointment yesterday. They offer different levels of therapists. And if it hadn't been for your podcast and all of the times you've strongly encouraged people, the qualifications don't matter, just someone's level of empathy. I would have felt more nervous than I did about asking for the cheapest therapist out of financial necessity. You were completely right. What matters is your relationship with your therapist and how comfortable you feel. And even just after one session, I felt so heard and understood and could really feel her compassion. At one point, she even had tears in her eyes, but it wasn't weird, just beautiful and validating and made me think, yes, this is where I need to be for a while. Love reading those. Love it. And then finally, this is a happy moment filled out by uh, Cara. I think it's Cara or Kara. Cara. Um, she writes, I've been having a hard time lately and just struggling to go about my day-to-day activities. But about a month ago, I went up to New Hampshire with my cousins. It had snowed a lot and the woods looked absolutely stunning. That night, we decided to attach a big metal sled to the back of the snowmobile and take it for a ride. I sat in the back on the sled with one of my cousins. As we were speeding through the snowy woods, trying not to fall off the sled, I started to laugh. I mean really laughing, to the point where my stomach started to hurt and I was screaming with joy. I remember looking up at the pitch black sky and seeing hundreds of stars. It was so beautiful. All of a sudden, I just got this feeling of peace and pure happiness. And for the first time in a long time, I just knew that everything was going to be okay. That I'm jealous. I'm jealous of that happy moment. And I, that happy moment actually turned on me and now pisses me off because I don't, I don't live near there. And I, yeah, Paul, complain about the lack of snow to the people on the East Coast right now. That would be a good thing to do. <laughs> Herbert. And uh, before I send you guys uh, on your way, I want to um, give a shout out for anybody in the Los Angeles area. I want to tell you about this fantastic charity uh called uh, it's free free arts and it's free arts for abused children and they have four basic programs that they do but the one i wanted to uh kind of give a shout out for is they do this thing at a courthouse believe it or not children who are forced to testify against their abusers are often in the same room with the person that they're going to have to testify in front of. And you can imagine what a harrowing experience that is. Well, Free Arts goes into these courtrooms and they bring art supplies 
to distract the child and to help them have something to focus on and even to express their emotions in. They are a great organization. Their website is freearts.org and um, they could use money and they could use volunteers as well and you don't have to have uh, any kind of art experience. So check out their website, freearts.org and you can donate money or you can donate your time and they do screen people that work with these kids so don't don't uh, worry about that but they're they've been around for a while and um they uh serve nearly 27,000 children every year and um that's just fucking amazing so hats off to them hats off to you guys for uh I don't know who gives a shit fill something in there <laughs> and uh thanks to Kelly and if you're out there and you're feeling stuck and alone um Please know that you're not alone. You never were and you never have to be. If you're, you can just get out of your comfort zone and ask for help and reach out. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.